This is Dane Erickson, Memiverse fan, and I just got back from the Demon with the Atomic Brain premiere. Just want to say that had really great special effects. The tree monsters in particular were really good. Mitch did a good job with that. And my favorite character was definitely Agar, because he had no problem saying everything that popped into his head. And then Mike Cook's character kind of had a Charles Middleton kind of vibe, like Ming the Merciless. And it was uh, one of his first films to have a bit of color in it, besides Giant Spider for the opening theme. Yeah, it's a really great movie, and you should definitely see it. We were camping in the woods late one night, just my girl and my buddies, no one else inside. When the flames from the fire started getting dim, we decided that we'd go for a late night swim. We were stripping down to our drawers, all alone in the great outdoors. That's when we saw something we never saw before. It was climbing on the shore. do something a little different here on monster kid radio this time around we're celebrating the release of the 12th movie of the mimiverse demon with the atomic brain it's out now you can order it yourself well we want to celebrate the release of this film it's 12 movies in 12 years for christopher r mims so i'm being joined this week by a super fan of the mimiverse we're going to talk about all the movies oh by the way my name's Derek kim cook welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear and like i said we're doing something different well you already heard some of it we kicked off this episode with a voicemail from somebody who saw the premiere of demon with the atomic brain a listener of the show a fan of the mimiverse thank you for calling that in dane really appreciate it now we're going to talk a little bit more about Demon with the Atomic Brain briefly, and then we have some other people coming on. Well, I'll just tell you who it is. Rich Chamberlain, Jeff Owens, Stephen D. Sullivan. They're going to be joining us at the end of the show because they were at the premiere as well and then sat down after midnight their time to record a few thoughts about the movie, the Mimiverse, and it was just a nice little recording, and I really appreciate them taking the time to do that. But before that... You're going to hear an epic conversation with me and a guy that I met at Monster Bash for the first time. Now, he and I have been communicating on Facebook. I consider him a friend, but meeting him in person with his son, Ben, at Monster Bash was a treat. Steven Turek is going to be on the show. He is a MIM super fan. Like I said, he picked up every single movie of MIMS at Monster Bash and then went home and watched them all in order and then watched them again in universe order. He's going to bring a lot of insight about the movies to you in this conversation I'm going to have with him. Now, musical selection-wise, we didn't do an instrumental surf song at the top of the show. After the voicemail from Dane, you heard a song from the Monster of Phantom Lake, the musical. The song was called Surf's Up, Swamp Monster. Now, this is part of the cast album that was released on CD. You can pick it up at SaintEuphoria.com. The CD is copyright Ball and Hertel Productions, LLC. I have permission to play music from the musical on this episode of the show. You're going to hear other music from the Mimiverse throughout the show as well. In fact, why don't we do a little bit of that, and we're just going to dive right in to Steven and I talking about the Mimiverse right here.
Professor Captain Director Jackson came from Phantom Lake. He came from another world, destination out of space. this off starting in right. three in three two one by the time you listen ah, i'm gonna start that over three two <laughs> coffee need some wow you know what i'm just gonna let it ride listeners welcome to monster kid radio to celebrate the release of the latest movie from friend of the show christopher r mim demon with the atomic brain Having now been released, by the time you hear this, the premiere would have happened, and I'm sure it was an amazing time for those of you who were there. I wasn't there, and neither was this week's guest, but that doesn't matter. We're still going to celebrate it by talking about the entire Mimiverse 
and a few other things along the way. Welcome to the show, special guest, Stephen Turek. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How you doing, Derek? I'm good. I'm good. I haven't really chatted with you since Monster Bash. I don't think listeners have heard the recording yet, but I have some recordings with Stephen from Monster Bash I'll play eventually. How have you been? I've been doing well. I've been doing well. Monster Bash was just an awesome experience. My son, Ben, and I went up to it. It was our first time going to Monster Bash. And, of course, we picked the 20th anniversary. And oh, it was just so enjoyable getting to, to meet so many different people, yourself included. Um, Stephen D. Sullivan, um, what, Jeff Bowen, Richard Chamberlain, all, all those people. I can't remember everybody. Joshua Kennedy. There's so many. And, of course, Christopher R. Mim and Mitch Gonzalez and Mark Cater at their table and um, getting to talk to them about the Mimiverse movies, which... I had never seen any of them, but I heard, kept hearing you talk about them on your show and hearing Mitch and Chris talk about, I said to Ben, you know, we're not just going to get a movie. Let's, we'll just get the whole run and let's just <laughs> do it all. You know, it's like, go, we'll go all in. You're Christopher R. Mim's favorite kind of customer at a convention. Just bought all of them. <laughs> at that point, what, there was 12 movies, 11 movies? Where, where are we right now? It was 11 movies. And the musical, mm-hmm. and because I bought all of the Kid and Caboodle, he was being nice to me, he threw in the CD of the musical. Hey, there you go. You get home, you get to watch it all, and it's so entertaining to go through, which we'll talk about you know, as we go through this. But one thing we, I've asked you about at Monster Bash, when we were talking after the Monster Bash was over, was the pronunciation of Dr. Jekyll, or is it Dr. Jekyll? Uh-oh. Okay. And you said it was pronounced... Do you remember? How do you said? I asked you, was it Jekyll or Jekyll? Well, I've heard, I've heard both. Um, a friend of the show, Dwight Kemper, who was also at Monster Bash, uh, tells me it's Jekyll. I've heard it Jekyll in a number of places. I, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on which version of the story I'm watching. <laughs> which movie? Let me ask you a simple question, Mr. Cook. Uh-oh. What do you think of Peter Cushing? Peter Cushing is the man. Come on now. Like you got to ask. Which way do you think Mr. Cushing pronounces it? Oh, I see. Oh, I see where you're going. All right. All right. He probably goes with the Jekyll. So, okay. It's now canon. It was the Jekyll. It was his last recorded thing. It was the um, flesh and blood hammer heritage. When yeah. he's introducing the Dr. Jekyll party called it Dr. Jekyll. Okay. And I found that out from Mark Redfield, who I met at Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention. And he was saying, oh, Peter Cushing calls it Dr. Jekyll. And I was like, ah, that's all I need to hear. It's Dr. Jekyll. (laughs) (laughs) The Peter has spoken. Therefore, there you go. Good enough for Cushing. It's good enough for me. Hey, there you go. All right. There it is. Dr. Jekyll it is from this point forward. You hear that, listeners? At least here on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Mark Redfield, you know, speaking of Mark Redfield, and I know we're here to talk about uh, Mim, but I do want to talk just because he brought him up, just to mention briefly, Mark Redfield is producing our other favorite modern day monster kid movie makers, Joshua Kennedy's upcoming movie, The House of Gorgon. Have you seen the stuff online about this? I've seen it online. He told me about this prior to it breaking online. Yeah, Josh has been sending me some information, too. He's been holding his cards close to the chest, and rightly so, because you you don't want to spill too much until it's actually officially announced. But I knew it was coming, and now that it's all official and there's a Facebook page and the website's coming, I'm excited. Oh, the Hammer Girls are in it. I saw them. They, they posted that up, too. So it's Yeah, like, yeah. Wow. So we got Caroline Monroe, Veronica Carlson, and Martine Beswick 
are all on board for being in his new movie. And Christopher Neem, who has been in a couple of Hammer films as well. So, man, that's amazing. So best of luck to Mark Redfield and, of course, Joshua Kennedy for what's coming up for them. That's fantastic. I'm looking forward to him also. I'm just, just He's such a talented young man. To see Theseus and the Minotaur um, when he premiered it up at um, Monster Bash, that was just so nice to watch. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I, I'm looking forward to the official home release of that. From what I understand, there's some extra footage that did not make the cut. So what we saw was a Monster Bash exclusive. So there's some extra stop motion material that is being put into it. And then it will get its home release and that'll be fun. Exactly. I'm looking forward to it also. And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that Stephen E. Sullivan helped with some extra writing on that. Did did a scene or two here, which was kind of cool. So, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to have this community of people all kind of working together, making these products, making this media for us modern day monster kids like Christopher R. Mim and what he's been doing since, what, 2006? Correct. Yes, 2006. It's hard to believe. It's about 12 movies now with the, the upcoming release. What a year. Man, when I tell people that this guy's been making a movie once a year, every year, there's a feature-length film coming from him. People just are blown away, and rightly so. I mean, this is quite the accomplishment. And listeners, I don't want you to think that this is just going to be a big episode in which we're just talking about how wonderful Mim is, and you should buy these movies. This is not an hour-and-a-half-long commercial. Some of these movies are better than others, obviously, but they're all great. Mm-hmm. And, and Mim is is really worthy of all the attention and success that he's gotten, and, and then some, because these movies are just a blast, and they get so much better as they go along. I mean, you start high, and you just keep going higher and higher and higher. Exactly. And, and all of his movies are pretty much anybody in the family can watch. Yep. But they're different um, material, science fiction, horror, of supernatural, all thrown in. Giant monsters. I mean, it's a little bit of everything for everybody. So even if you don't like all of his movies, which I know you and I don't understand why you wouldn't like all of them, but (laughs) there are ones you could pick out. And after, you know, people hear a little bit about each one from us, they can maybe say, hey, you know, I might not like those couple, but that one definitely sounds like one that might be up my wheelhouse and they can give it a try. Exactly. Exactly. Now, we're going to talk briefly about all of them. We kind of dance through the universe here. We're, we're not going to get too in-depth and that sort of thing because, really, there are some other things that we want to talk about when it comes to these movies as well. But we are going to give you a little breakdown, a little, a brief kind of a bubble of a plot, a plot bubble. You know, just a little shot of what you can expect <laughs> in these movies. It all started in 2006 for him when he and Josh Craig got together and said, you know what? Let's make a movie. It's one of those things that I always wanted to do. Let's make a movie. And what came out of that was what started the Mimiverse. I don't think anybody, even involved in the production at the time, knew the kind of, and I'm going to use the word legacy here, that they were starting, mm-hmm. that they were creating here with, with the monster Phantom Lake. You can just tell, I mean, there was a lot of love put into making it. One thing also let listeners know, from talking to, to Mr. Mim at Monster Bash, I think he said the budget for all these movies is below like $10,000 each. Oh, if that, yeah. So it was like three to $10,000 a movie, he said. And the, to put that in perspective, I'm sure the catering at a major motion picture for one motion <laughs> picture probably is still more than all of his movies combined. And yet they hold up very well. And it started off with this monster, Phantom Lake. It's, it's just a joy. And, and, and I always feel like if anybody was the star of any of his movies, they should start with the first one because it really kind of sets the tone for what the whole Mimiverse is it does. like. 
It does. It does set the tone, you know, to kick things off. In my mind, I can kind of break the Mimiverse up into like a couple of different eras, you know, like how you do with the Godzilla films, the show on the Heisei. I can kind of do that a little bit with the Mimiverse films, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get to where I think that change happened. It's obviously a love letter to 1950s monster movies. The thing about Mim, though, and Steve and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday when we were doing a quick Skype test. The thing about his films... He doesn't just bring the 1950s sensibility into them. You can tell what kind of movies Mim watched growing up. I mean, he's a child of the 70s and 80s, like Steve, like I. And we watched a lot of science fiction movies, Star Wars, Ghostbusters, classic Trek. So you see, and you can hear some of these, especially here, (laughs) some of these influences in some of these movies. Like you can hear classic Star Trek sound effects in Monster Phantom Lake. It's subtle, but it's there. You hear, I'm pretty sure, in almost every one of the films, somebody says, I've got a bad feeling about this. And you know that's a Star Wars thing. So uh, you you can pick up some of these other influences here, but it's never enough to overshadow the 1950s-ness of these movies. Does that make sense? Yeah, and some of the fight scenes that you'll see him doing, like The Professor, when he has a little fight scene with the monster, and some of the other movies, you'll see the Captain Kirk kind of fighting style. You know, it's a, does anybody do the double fist punch? I can't remember. <laughs> yes, yes, he does, and and, and I'm, and I think they've done it in a couple of movies, and you're, you can just see it because if you if you watch the classic track, and then you're watching this, and it hits you, and sometimes you might miss it on the first viewing, but if you watch it again, you'll pick up on some of these more um, little tricks that or little things that he drops in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you might not have noticed the first time. And sometimes you can't help but notice them, like in the musical, <laughs> where there's actually a musical <laughs> reference to a mock times fight scene. But, you know, that's way down the line. So, oh, man, I just mentioned a classic Star Trek episode. Yeah, we're going to get nerdy in this episode here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and I don't think you can help it. I mean, it's just it's just the way the material's going. And especially when we get to um, attacking the moon zombies. Oh, man, which is one of my favorite. But yeah, let's, let's talk about the Monster of Phantom Lake before we get there, because I can, you know, yes. this episode could either be a joy or a real nightmare for me to edit, because I have a feeling we could go all over the place with these spin films, because there's so much to talk about and there's so much fun. One of the things that I love about doing this show is that I get a, I get to fanboy out with like-minded monster kids, and man, we could really just spend hours talking about these movies, because they're just a blast. But you know, trying to kind of really get in here. We got Josh Craig as Professor Jackson, a staple of early Memiverse films. We've got Justin Overlander, who is in a handful of Christopher R. Mim films, and he's a great actor. We got Rachel Grubb. We got Michael Cook. Come on now. He's, he's like in everything. Even the movies, not physically, and I think he's in as a voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course, I mean, there's only one person. I think there's only one person who's been in every single movie, and that'd be Michael Kaiser. I don't know if he's in the next one. Isn't he a monster in the next one? No. He's not, He's huh? not in the second movie. Okay, so I take it all back. The monster's played by the same actor. Remember, he just puts the eyes in. That's there, true. No, That's true. Although... It didn't mean, didn't mean to burst your bubble. <laughs> no, I, thought, I could have swore I saw his name in the credits somewhere. Either way, you've got Kaiser, who is Chris's stepson. Is that right? Yes. And... So you've got kind of this instant family thing happening here. You're going to see this as a theme through all of his films. Chris uses a lot of family members in his movies, and they love it. You can tell it's it's their thing, and that really manifests itself a couple of times once you get into the filmography. But again, I'm getting way ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> 
<laughs> focus, Derek, focus. But this one, uh, the monster. Yeah. What I love about it is the teenagers in the movie remind me of the yes. same age of the teenagers in the blob. You know, they're not teenagers. <laughs> they all got to be in their late twenties or early thirties or something like that. You know, it's like, you're looking at it and you're like, it's like, Oh, that's like the blob. <laughs> and nobody really listens to them. Let's see. I'm trying to find out how old they were. I'm looking at Justin Overlander and he was born in 76. So yeah, that would make him 20, 30, excuse me, 30. 30. And I yeah. Think, I think Rachel Grubb was a year younger. Okay. <laughs> they talk like teenagers though. I mean, they're doing their Steve McQueen best to act oh, like yeah. teenagers in this. So, but you know, it doesn't take away from it. I just looked at it as, um, People that he could get that were interested in doing it, and then it just happened to add in that, hey, it kind of reminds me of this classic 50s movie, The Blob, where the, the teenagers are really a lot older, which they were in those movies in the 50s. They really, even in the TV shows, the teenagers weren't teenagers. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, and that's something that even happens today. Uh, but yeah, Justin and uh, I, one of my favorite characters in this bunch is actually the Elizabeth character played by Deanne McDonald. Oh, she was wonderful. In all of these movies, you always have the one kind of outcast because she's either nerdy or, or poor or, or, or something. There's always something that kind of puts her on the – or him on the outside of the group. But she always ends up – or he always ends up being the most fascinating one to me. And I loved her in this, and I'm glad that we got to see her pop up again later on. But I mean, she's one of my favorite characters of the teenagers here. Her and um, George. I'm trying to remember – Brad Tracy. Brad Tracy. Brad Tracy, I liked his character also. Because it was kind of like uh, realistic a little bit where, you know, his girlfriend's telling him, oh, go dance with her and that kind of stuff. He kind of played that person as like, oh, I'll go do the nice thing, which is similar to Carrie. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's another throwback. The girlfriend saying, oh, no, go dance with her. Wow. there's It's like so many of these little influences mm-hmm. that's wonderful to watch. And like I said, a repeat viewing, you can catch them. Yeah. And I... I've watched these movies over and over and over again, some more than others. Uh, in preparation of this, Steve, you watched them all in quote unquote chronological order in universe. So I'm, I'm yeah. curious, you know, once we you kind of finish our little trip here, I'd love to know what the quote unquote official order is. Cause I think Mim gave that to you, didn't he? He told us at the booth, he says, once you guys finish going through them in order of release, which is what Ben and I did to start with, when we when I put up the post for the last one, I, you know, and, and basically talked about all of them a little bit and, and, and what order we liked them, he posted on my Facebook page the in-universe order. And he also sent me where demon with the atomic brain is going to fall in that order. So it's so it's so I can even throw that in when we get to that spot. So we'll actually know we're all 12 of the movies in universe order. Okay. So the story is pretty simple, as is a lot of these 1950s monster movies where he's taking his inspiration from. It's all in the title. It's all about the monster of Phantom Lake. That said, there are some things here that do get kind of deep. There's a character. What becomes the monster of Phantom Lake is a, a veteran from World War II dealing with shell shock. And then he turns into a monster. But you know, there's this this whole story about how he went around killing Nazis and and killed his wife, and it's pretty bleak. I mean, we get darker the further we go into the universe, but it's never kind of exploited. It's just a character thing that kind of happened, and we move on. And there are some things that happen in the movie that do allow themselves to have a more deep 
feeling or meaning than you might get with some of these other lower budget monster movies actually from the 1950s. So I do appreciate Mm -hmm. that. I also appreciate the, oh boy, you know, kind of teen enthusiasm of Jonathan and George and Penny and all them. I have to ask you because this is going to come up in the next one we talk about Stephanie Yates. She's one of the female leads, the graduate student that goes with Professor Jackson out to the lake to do science. She's played by Leo Horton. Yes. What did you think of Stephanie Yates or Leo Horton overall? I enjoyed her. I thought she um, did did a nice job um, going through it. She was able to um, give those looks, but obviously her and the professor are they going to be an item or not be an item? As the movie goes along, you'll find out. And how she reacts to his different things that he was saying. You know, her reaction to it, I think, was very good with the character. Overall, I thought she did a good job. Because we'll talk about the musical later. I thought she was better than the musical Stephanie Yates. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I've had a chance to chat with her. I did a Q&A with her a while back for a project that still hasn't manifested itself. And she's cool. She had a great time working on it. And I, I like her a lot. I like the idea of the character. It's unfortunate that, well, guys, I'll, I'll say it right now. She's not in the next film. Uh, this is the only time you see Stephanie Yates, except for the musical. And I, I kind of missed the chemistry between her and Jackson in future films. I like that we get to see them kind of come together as a couple. <laughs> Spoiler. I like that we get to see that happen in this. I love the the... You know, she's obviously mooning over him. And as the movie continues, we see that he's got feelings for her as well. But he's the professor. He's the, you know, the the teacher and, and can't really express that until things move further along in the film. So I, I appreciated that quite a bit. But I like her. I like her a lot. Like I said, I enjoyed her. And, and as you already brought up, when she wasn't in the next movie, I was just like, wait a minute, what happened? Did they recast? And then, and of course, they explained it early on what happened to her. Right. Go. Oh. And it's just sad that that character didn't continue. Right. And um, and also, it's a, it's a shame that the actress hasn't come back, to my knowledge, to anything else. But you never know. The future is always the future. That's true. <laughs> she is in, I believe, California now. Uh, ultimately, it's just a matter of her. If it's not California, it's somewhere else. She just was moving on with her career and wasn't in the area and wasn't able to continue with the memiverse. So she's done a few things since then. Some of the other characters that we have to mention, though, because something similar in the opposite way, <laughs> I guess, happened. See, the exact opposite. <laughs> the Canoe Cops. We got Mike Cook and M. Scott Tallman as Sven and Gustav. I, I swapped the order. So Michael's Gustav and uh, M. Scott Tallman's Sven. The Canoe Cops, which has become a staple of the Bimiverse, uh, the idea that there's this police force in the Phantom Lake area that travels by canoe. is <laughs> kind of brilliant. Armed with paddles. That's right. That's right. And and as they say in the movie, you know, coasting up on a criminal in a canoe, nobody hears you. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of the canoe <laughs> cops. I really do. And I'm glad it's become a thing in the Mimiverse. Um, as we know, um, Stephen D. Sullivan even wrote a book about the canoe cops. Um, I haven't had the chance to read the book, but I've been li- I listened to it as um, Mimiverse podcast. Yes, Christopher Mim read each chapter for each month during his podcast. So if anybody wants to read the book or hear the book, they can go to Mimiverse podcast and he can actually hear the whole thing. And it's amazing how that those characters are evolving and growing 
and, and leaps and bounds and showing up in so many different things. Yeah. And there's an auxiliary, there's the paddle girls, you know, and that'll come up later. So I love them too, but here's a massive spoiler. The monster gets them. Or does he? Right. <laughs> I think we could, we could talk about that little part in the next movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, you kind of knew they were going to die. I mean, it's in any monster movie, when you see the law enforcement figures you, and, and you know, they're going to end up getting killed off somewhere in the movie. <laughs> right. And that's something that I think Mim has actually captured perfectly with all of these movies. If you go back and you watch, especially early to mid-1950s monster movies, you know, legitimately ones from that era, the scientists – science has to be trusted. The scientists are the hero. The law enforcement types, usually a little slow on the uptake, not always on board with everything, don't believe the kids. But the scientists, they're always the ones – kind of leading the way you know science will save the day and i think this is something that mem and company have really captured with all of these movies the authority figures the canoe cops may be likable but yeah they do fall victim to the monster <laughs> and as you were talking about with the scientist thing i think even the Stephen the eighth character says elizabeth you have to trust the professor he's a man of science exactly <laughs> you know you He's, is, they're always right or whatever. It's, it's just funny how it's like, oh, science will say, as you said, it always will save the That's day. Right. And one thing we forgot to mention was a, a staple for 50s monster movies, Atomic Waste. Yes. Plays a big part in the monster creation. So you can't have a 50s movie without some kind of radioactive waste leading to the, the problem. <laughs> you know, there's so much here. I, I don't know. Well, I do know. I I know that when they first started making these movies, they had no idea it was going to become the thing that it has become. But there is so much happening in this film by itself. I was watching it again the other day, and I thought, you know, they could spin a story out of this element. They could spin a story out of that element. There is so much just in this movie alone that could seed so many other different stories. So, of course, my wheels start turning. and <laughs> like, I want to see that story and this story, and I want to read about that, and I want to write about this. There's just so much happening here. The atomic waste. Uh, the, the spider frog, you know, what's really happening with the hermit, the canoe cops. I want to know more about the canoe cops. I want to hear about the professor's uh, job at the university. I want to know what happens there. There's just so much happening here, but you know, it's still its own complete story. And man, they did it. He needs to make a sequel. And I think when you two were doing um, last week's podcast, by the accidental fumbling of the words, you can come up with the name of the next movie, <laughs> the phantom monster. A phantom lake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he needs any help coming up with story ideas these days, but uh, Chris, if you're listening, <laughs> or maybe Steve can write that as a novel. Who knows? I was about to say, or Stephen D. Sullivan, you know, yep. go for there it. There you go. There you go. We need a comic book version. We oh, need, wow. We need a whole bunch of stuff. That's something else that I do is when I watch these movies, I skip. Just keep telling myself, how cool would it be if we had all the different merchandising things that the 50s movies had? A comic book version, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, like a, a, an album of some sort. I would love there to have been an actual LP release of a Rockin' and a Rollin'. That'd just be amazing. I think there is. Well, an actual record, an actual, like, pressed oh, yes. vinyl would be awesome. Oh, well, that would be true. A Rockin' and Rollin' all the way rambling. That's right. That's right. Which I'm going to ask him before we run this episode if we can play some of the music. I'm sure he'll be okay with it, but some of the music is perfect. 
to tell I hope I tell it well Oh yeah Oh yeah A rockin' A rollin' All the way a ramblin' The song is great, but then the way they film it is funny. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's clearly not Josh's voice, you know. <laughs> oh, but it's good times. It's it's, it's really good time. Do you want to rate them at this point as we go along, or do we want to wait till we get to the end to kind of rate where you would put it? We can do it at the okay. end. But one thing with that, this is a Mimiverse tradition. I think in every single movie they do this. Okay. They turn the flashlight on multiple times before they use it. You notice that too, huh? <laughs> now, now, being that you are the man you are, in trivia, who's the first character to turn the flashlight on the multiple times? In the Mimiverse? Yeah, in the in the Monster of Phantom oh. Lake. That was the first one out. Is it Stephanie? No. Uh oh. It's a guy. I don't I don't remember. I'll have to go back and rewatch it. Darn. Well, George. Is it? George was the first when he went to go when he went to go look for Jonathan. Jonathan turns on a flashlight, but he only turns it on once and goes out. Oh, okay. Uh, with Amy, and then George is told, "Oh, you need to go look for him," and um, so he's the one who turns it on the multiple times. At least from when I saw. Okay. It. I, you know. Okay. If I'm wrong, I'm sure somebody will will let you know and you'll correct it. You know what, listeners? If you haven't seen the movie yet, you need to go watch it to see if he's right or wrong. See what we're doing here? We're just helping them sell a couple more movies, right? We have no stock in the, we have no stock in Saint Euphoria. No, I have stock in Saint Euphoria because I just want to keep buying and watching the movies. That's my investment. Okay. Oh, I want to see him. I'm just making sure people know. It's like we're not getting anything back from yeah, it except enjoyment. That's true. That's true. That's true. And really, we're talking. It's ten dollars a movie. Right? How much are tickets to go to a movie theater? Exactly. You're getting, you got it permanently. And then, you know, and then uh, that's the great thing about it. And the money goes back to him. You can get these on Amazon, but I'd recommend if anybody's interested in these movies, go to his website, which I'm sure you'll put in the notes somewhere. Oh, yeah. And, and go there because the more money goes back to him, which he will take and put into whatever movies following Demon with the Atomic Brain. And, and so on. That's the beauty of it all is that pretty, pretty much we're keeping this going. So maybe 10 years later, we can talk about the 22nd movie of the Memiverse. <laughs> one can hope he's still doing it by then, right? Well, who knows? Maybe he'll start doing multiple movies a year. <laughs> you know, we've joked, actually. What would you do, Chris, if you ended up with like a million dollar budget or something like that? And it, he never says, I'll just make one really big movie. He's always like, I'll make 10 great movies out of it because that's what he does. <laughs> It'd almost be like instead of movies, if it was like almost um, like an anthology TV show. Oh, how amazing would that be, right? 
Oh, man. Yes. Mimiverse TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So any TV producers out there listening, you know. Hey, before we move on to the next film, uh, one thing that I wanted to do was just mention, in my mind, what would be a good legitimate 1950s monster movie to watch as a double feature with these movies. So for this film, for the monster Phantom Lake, if I were to sit down and watch it with a a movie from the 1950s, I have to cheat just a little bit and go to 1961. Sorry, but I would go with creature from the haunted sea. Oh, which has that goofy looking monster with the big ping pong eyes in it. Mostly because it's got a big goofy looking monster with the big ping pong eyes in it. (laughs) Uh, which makes me think a lot of what the Phantom Lake monster looks like. I suppose I could probably even go to, um, you know, Phantom from 10,000 Leagues as well, which is actually a legitimate 1955 film as another potential double feature as well, which again has, you know, some kids out on the lakefront, the waterfront, and, you know, a doctor trying to do stuff, a professor character. So I'd probably tie it up with those movies. That's where I would go with it. That sounds cool. For me, I'm going to look at something, instead of tying it in with the lake theme, I'm going to go with the teenager theme. And I've already said it a couple of times, the blob. I mean, the blob starts off right away with that song. And we got a rock and rolling all the way rambling. We did a great song in each movie. Yeah. <laughs> Teenagers, nobody believes. And um, when I like to pair some things, I sometimes like to pair them where they're a little bit different. So that way, when you're watching them, it's not like you're watching the same thing back to back. Dave! Doc Hallen's been killed. Doc Hallen? What happened? It's over at his place. you got to come now. Oh, wait a minute, Steve. Tell us what happened. Well, I'm trying to tell you. Now, this thing had killed the doc. Well, what was it? Stop with it, kid. But it's kind of like a... It's kind of like a mass that keeps getting bigger and bigger. It... Every one of you watching this screen, look out. Because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theater. Teenagers see it first, like a falling star from outer space. Boy, that was close. Hey, come on, I want to see if I can find it. An old man finds it, touches it, and this is the shocking result. From then on, there's no stopping the blob as it spreads from town to town. It's indestructible. It's indescribable. Nothing can stop it. This town is in danger. How can it be stopped? Mob hysteria sweeps one city. Before long, the nation, and then the world could fall before the blood-curdling threat of the Bob. Starring Steve McQueen and a cast of exciting young people. Jack, keep things in that strong rock. Mm. There's plenty of Cuban sugar, though. Here's what happened. The general beat his friend Castro to the Cuban treasury. The strong box is now on this boat. So are a deported American gangster and his mall. And lurking in the depths is the creature from the haunted sea. 
you're a crazy mixed up kid. I am perfectly adjusted to my life of crime. Don't worry, Mary Bell. I'll save you. Be calm, everybody. The boat's insured. There's a shaft of light coming up out of the ocean. It was being guarded by a, a sea creature. I believe this light killed three men. Into uncharted secret coves hidden beneath the sea's surface go the daredevil hunters of the deep, searching out the mystery of sudden death, the secrets of the Phantom from 10,000 Leagues. Starring Kent Taylor, lovely Kathy Downs, and Michael Whalen, all enmeshed in a scientific web of terror involving secret death rays that unidentified nations will stop at nothing to obtain. Almost like it was burned by an atomic flash. Fisherman, too. Man bait, a luscious blonde too tantalizing for the weak to resist. I didn't know then they could put beauty and poison so cleverly together in one package. <laughs> but the shadow of the phantom death does not stop daring underwater adventures while a man of science probes the unknown for the answer to the phantom from 10,000 leagues. Don't miss the phantom from 10,000 leagues. And so a year later, they make another movie. And it's a sequel, uh, kind of. Actually, yeah, I suppose technically it is a sequel because we do have the same characters. Even Elizabeth turns back up. It came from another world, which we get to see more Professor Jackson, but no more Stephanie Yates. And we mentioned briefly that she doesn't appear in this film. The female lead, the female love interest has been replaced with the character Julie Ann St. Marie, played by Shannon McDonough, who has become a staple of these movies as well. She's amazing. She's a great actress. I love her and everything that I've seen her do. Unfortunately, the only thing I've ever seen her do are things with Mim, but I know she's been doing other things as well over the years. She's great. And while I miss the Stephanie Yates character, I'm glad we had Shannon McDonough in the Mimiverse now. It's like anytime they change something up, you always miss the original actress or actor that portrayed the role. But she does an excellent job. And then as we'll get to the rest of the movies that she's in. One of the things I'm going to be talking about with these movies as we go along, because a lot of it is the same actors with the same writer-director, is the growth that we can see through the years. And I think that's one of the advantages of watching them all in chronological order, as they, I mean, in release order, as they came out, and is, is to see that change. 
which makes me very excited to see with Demo Titanic Brain what that one's going to be like when it comes out because everything has just been getting better for the most part. These next two films, in my opinion, are a little bit of a dip from after The Monster of Phantom Lake, and then it starts going back up again, and then it's been staying up there. You know, Mim's a friend, obviously, but that said, I agree with you. It was fun to revisit The Professor. I think it's great to see the canoe cops back in action. I think it's great that we have Shannon McDonough in the movies. But this one isn't one of my favorites. I mean, it's good, but when I go back to watch a Memphis movie, this one isn't near the top of my list. So I'll just say that. I don't not like it. And what, right. To me, I think this movie would have been a lot better. It's 93 minutes. I think if it would have been 70, 73 minutes, the pacing, because that, that was to me the only issue was the pacing. There was parts that was just like, it needed just to move on. If it would just be a little tighter, it would move up the rankings for me. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, to me, it's like the pacing was the biggest issue for me. You know, the pacing and they went just a little more comedic than they did with Monster Phantom Lake. The exaggerated pauses in the professor speak become more and more exaggerated. And there's just a, a level of out-and-out playfulness that seemed a little ham-fisted to me that you didn't get in Monster Phantom Lake. And I think by maybe tightening some of that up, I think you're right. It probably would be a stronger film. It's still good. Exactly. I, I, I hope listeners aren't thinking, and, and Mim, especially if you're listening, we're not saying it's not a bad movie. It's still good. It's just when you look at the entire Mimiverse, it's probably not as strong as some of the others. Like you were saying, with the prolonged silences, um, the laughter that would go on a little bit longer. I think for me, it was he caught lightning in a bottle with Monster Phantom Lake. And he was like, oh, let's do it again. And I think he tried. However, everything worked there. It kind of just didn't have, it, it just didn't connect yeah. in those levels. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, really, it is, as you were saying, it's enjoyable. I liked it. I mean, Mike Mason comes back for a much longer role as Dr. Frazier. He played Lobo in the prior movie. And he does, I thought, was a, a very good job. It reminded me so much, and I know people, that those that love Star Trek are going to love this. It reminds me so much of where no man has gone before. <laughs> you know what? Episode additional <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> you know, uh, like I said earlier, I want to try to compare these or pair these up with some other movies as a double feature. And I was actually going to cheat and say, watch this which th with that episode because it's got well, so much of that. Uh, I'd also probably pair it up with Killers from Space just because of the Bug-Eyed Aliens. But yeah, it is so classic Star Trek. I love classic Star Trek. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and and William Shatner, I got to meet him last year and and, and he's the man. I mean <laughs> Right on. I mean, it's just I mean, people might say different things that I don't care. Captain Kirk, my boyhood childhood growing up, he was on reruns all the time. You I mean you still can't go anywhere without seeing the original series. It, it was just amazing how well they did it. And it was just like, wow, yep. it's just great. And then part of it reminded me of the episode in Star Trek. I'm trying to remember the title of it. It's the one that had Frank Gorshin in it where he played the characters. Remember the characters that had the painted face, one half black, one half white? Yeah. Is that a second or third season episode? But yeah, I know which one you're talking about. When he was doing his dreaming, when um, Dr. Frazier was doing his dream sequences, when he's kind of battling with the um, 
king of the universe, ruler of all the cosmos. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way to say it. Isn't that's the, that's the, the the villain's name, right? <laughs> but when they're doing that imagery and they're showing the war and all the stuff going on, it reminded me of that episode where Frank Gorshin and that guy are running. You see the things in the past, yes. if I remember correctly, with the battle thing. I was just like, man, it's just, it's just so much of that Star Trek, which I love. And I think if this actually would have been an hour-long episode on like a Star Trek thing, it would be like right up there. We'd be like, wow, this is one of the greatest episodes ever. And that's what I mean. It's it's, it's so close. I think that's what feels a little disappointing is that this could have been great. It was just under the mark. Yeah. Uh, the Star Trek episode is Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, the one that we're talking about. It is third season. So just you know, want to make sure that people know that we've got our Star Trek cred. Just put that out there. Uh, <laughs> but I think you're right. And I think the thing that you nailed perfectly is that he, he caught lightning in a bottle. You know, I, I often look at you know my favorite filmmakers, and I think their first film is fantastic. And their second and third film, not so much. And it's partly because that first film – Everything that they had lived up until that point where they, they made that movie goes into that film, right? So if Chris is 20 years old, or I don't know how old he was when he made the Monster Phantom Lake, all of his life experiences went into that one movie. Between the first and second film, there's a year. Yeah. And it's it's very different. And while he may call back on some of those other life experiences leading up to the first film, he's just got that one year of new experiences to put into the next one. And that it happens. The fact that he does these movies once a year and has continued to get better and better and better, I think, is a testament to Chris. But, you know, it's yeah, at this point, did he really think he was going to be a filmmaker like this? I, I still don't think he really knew this was going to become what it became at that point. He, he went all out on the first one, and it's like, this one, well, we enjoyed this. Let's do another one. And then they kind of tried to repeat. And I think they tried to repeat a little too much. Whereas with later films, we'll notice they start to not, and they interrelate, but they're not like direct sequels. <laughs> right. And maybe that's the key. Maybe that's the key here. It's not to always just try to do the sequel, just do something a little different, but still within the universe. Uh, the canoe cops are back. This is probably one of the biggest mysteries of the Mimiverse because in the first film, they get killed by the monster. Yet, there's no reference to them coming back. It's never explained, but they're back in this film. How does that happen? And, and you asked Chris about this. What did he tell you? Well, I um, texted back and forward with him, and I said to him, well, how did the canoe cops come back? Because when Ben and I were first watching this, at first, we thought, well, maybe this takes place prior. You know, we were trying to think of the timeline, like, how did the canoe cops come back? You know, we're trying to... Then oh, we, okay. But no, it doesn't. It does take place directly after. So I asked him, and he said he's not telling anybody. He's He basically leaves it up to everybody to determine their own reason as to why the canoe cops are still around. He's not talking. He's not going to tell say a word. Okay. He leaves it up to the audience, which I think is one of the best things about older movies. A lot of the newer movies nowadays, or the movies that some people don't like, they're like, oh, they don't tell us everything. You don't need to be told everything. But leave it up to your imagination. What did happen? Like in Blade Runner, is he a replicant or is he a human? Right. <laughs> you know, leave it up to the fans, and that way it, it, the movie has longer legs because people were always talking about it. I mean, that Blade Runner was, what, 30 years ago? 
and people are still talking about is he a human or a replicant, which I think will all be resolved with the next Blade Runner movie. Yeah, probably. But oh, well, there goes that fun days. Those fun days. But with this one, my theory is okay. Being an old comic book fan, nobody's ever dead until you see the body. Okay, and they're dead. Now, George, that this is going to spoil a little bit of the first movie, but when George comes back to the professor and them near the end of the monster Phantom Lake, he has part of a finger bone and says he saw two bodies. Okay. And he said they're partly eaten. They were destroyed. So he only said he only saw two bodies. He never said he saw other bodies. So did the canoe cops, using their paddles under the water, they fought the monster, <laughs> escaped, swam, were exhausted in shock and passed out, and were not able to get help to help them that rest of that night because it was resolved over that night and the following morning. So that's why I think, and, and then at the end of the movie, we see a badge on the beach, and I think that was just from the struggle of the fight when you see that badge get dropped off. Okay. That's my theory. Uh, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll. It's as good as anything that I've seen or read online. There's been some fan fiction kind of explaining some of this. I have a theory as well, but I can't share it. And it's because it has to do with the new film, and, and we'll talk about that. But I have a theory that maybe I'll put out there at some point. But I, I have a different theory. I'll just leave it at that. But they do talk about in this movie how they had a time travel experience. Ah, the new cops. Okay. So Ben, Ben, my son says something with time travel got involved. Yeah. I think they must have, you know, somebody came back and saved them and then plucked them back or whatever. Well, it sounds like what you're, you're saying is something we might find out soon. Well, it's, it's a stretch, <laughs> but it's something that I, I, I believe we do learn later that the canoe cops do end up in some pretty hairy situations. There is a short cartoon that played before, was it Danny Johnson? Mm -hmm. I believe so. That it's just a little tiny bit with the canoe cops out on a lake and they get swallowed by a giant monster. And they're like, well, now what do we do? So, you know, they get out of it somehow. So these guys are adept at evading death somehow. <laughs> they're the Abbott and Costello of the whole Mimiverse. <laughs> they just run into stuff and always get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that movie. I want to see. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be a blast. Well, it came from another world. It's a good movie. It's probably not one of our favorites. But, you know, it's still good and it's still enjoyable. One of my favorite songs oh, in the Mimiverse yeah. debuted in this movie. Yeah, which one's that? Paddling Along. Yes. Paddling Along.
Dan and I are talking about maybe the next time that Mim is at the Monster Bash, because I think he said he's coming every other year. Uh-huh. We might cosplay as the Canoe Cops. No way. Oh. And, <laughs> and stop by his booth and sing Paddling Along. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be amazing. I want somebody, if that happens, you let me know, because I'm going to get a video camera in place. I got to see <laughs> this thing, man. <laughs> so we're, we're thinking about doing that and, uh, it's just fun. I mean, it's just, it's, why not go for it? <laughs> <laughs> this is something that I kind of miss in the later Mimiverse films are the, the original songs. I miss that, you know, because you you, they pretty much die off after this, don't they? I don't think there's a song in Cave Women on Mars. There is some songs that play like an end credits or right. whatever, like some of the movies, um, which I think these first two really are, are just well done. I don't know. It brings a smile to my face every time I hear them. Yep. My 17-year-old son, my 21-year-old daughter, my 14-year-old son, they like to hear them. So it's not just like people of a certain age. <laughs> <laughs> One other Star Trek reference about this movie. Okay. Before we move on. Yeah. The end. <laughs> the death scene. Yep. From Wrath of Khan. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So you, you know where his references and his influences are coming from here, and Man, it's it's like he's us. He's just <laughs> he's he's one of us, man. He's just making movies for us, you know. It's great. I just really, really enjoyed. I mean, I enjoyed the movie. Like I said, if it, like we said, if it would just be twenty minutes shorter, I think this thing would have been a home run. Yeah, probably at least a triple. Here among a billion stars, a lonely ship streaks along an endless path. It's the mammoth starship Enterprise. Follow her trackless journey each week on Star Trek. William Shatner stars as Captain James Kirk, starship commander, and Leonard Nimoy stars as science officer Spock, half-Earthling, half-Vulcanian. There are hazards that beset the Enterprise and its crew on board ship and on alien planets. Don't miss Star Trek in color. Frightening bulb-eyed men, a billion strong, set to destroy the Earth. The human race lulled into a false sense of security, except for one scientist who dared probe the secret of this terrifying plan. They're here, they're here, they're going to destroy us. It's all right, Dr. Martin, you're with friends. You'll be all right. He'll kill everyone. We've got to stop them! Easy, Doug, easy. Who are you? A scientist like yourself. Where do you come from? From a planet yet unknown to you. I'm getting out of here. Stay where you are. Dr. Martin. What are you doing with this? Mm. 
back or I'll kill him. Go on, get back. Do as he says. You'll see an amazing succession of staggering scenes. Strange monsters, giant reptiles, and astounding marvels of science yet unborn. How does it compare to the next film, 2008's Cave Women on Mars? For me, Cave Women on Mars, I think, is the next step. If we were to look at the evolution of Mim and his films, this is the next evolutionary step because we are now away from planet Earth. It's now the future, 1987. It is <laughs> just, just fantastic because you look at these old 1950s monster movies set in the future and it's like, it's 1970-something. I go, really? Okay. Um, <laughs> So I love that. You know, it's 1987 in Cave Women on Mars. We're not completely away from Professor Jackson, who's now a director. And we have his son, Captain Jackson. Josh Craig is back. Not all of his hair is. And we get a new addition to the Mimiverse, somebody else who I think is just amazing. And Mim himself calls him this. The John Agar of the Mimiverse, Dan Shervin. He was just a, a breath of fresh air. He comes in and you can just tell. Oh, he's an action star. Oh, yeah. And he gets the ladies. <laughs> I mean, he, yes. <laughs> he gets the ladies the way he walks. Well, he was getting he was getting hit by the ladies a different way. You know, early in the movie, he kept getting his <laughs> jaw knocked in. <laughs> you can just see the camera. You're drawn to him. Yes. And in, in the other movies he's in, he has bigger parts, smaller parts. But you know when he's there. You can't help but watch him. He's just, even when he pops up at the end of something like, the late night double feature in the uh, X, the film from beyond space. And he just shows up. It's just, he's the man. He's got a very small part in attack of the moon zombies, but you want to do nothing but spend more time with him because he's just so fun to be with. I love him. I love him as an actor. He's great. There needs to be like the Dan Shervin. I don't know. There needs to be some more with him, more with him. What he needs to start coming up with is action figures for some of the monsters and some of these heroes. <laughs> Oh, man, I want to play with a little Dan Shervin. Well, that, you know what I mean. <laughs> okay, okay, Derek. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway. So, who else is in this movie? <laughs> Rachel Grubb's back. Rachel Grubb is back and um, as a villain. I think this is her last appearance for a long time. Yeah, she does uh, go off and do some other things. Yeah, because I believe her and... Um, Brooke Lemke, they go back, they go off to California or whatever to, to try their luck. And then I guess um, Rachel came back when we get to where Skeeto. Yeah. It was a very good movie. I mean, it was just, it was just nice. It was total science fiction thrown on Mars. Yep. yep. The spaceship where it's like, where did they sleep? Where did, you know, there's no, it's only it's just pretty sit and that's it pretty much. <laughs> just like they had. But the I love days. it. I love it. Exactly. Right. Ex- yeah, that's what I mean. And, and then you have the um, Stephanie Mim. And the telepathy and so on, going going on about the planet's history. It's just a lot of characters are in this one, and it's just it was different than the first two, but it was a nice change, and it shows, like I said, the growth. He's like, okay, let's just take this, we'll, we'll tie it in with Josh Craig's character or characters, and then we'll but we'll bring this other person in as the hero, and that way it's still tied into the Mimiverse per se. Yeah, I agree. I like that he has created its own little society. It's neat to see him grow like this, and it's a huge jump. It's a huge jump. And I love the the races on Mars. I love that we get to see Michael Kaiser outside of the costume. Yep. 
So we see him in there briefly. Now he is later going to show up in a monster suit. But, you know, you get to see him outside of the monster suit short, briefly. Uh, and Rachel Grubb is fantastic. And then you mentioned uh, Brooke Lemke. And who's the other one? Emily? Emily. Um, Frydenberg? Frydenberg as Gorga. She's fantastic, by the way. Oh, She's uh, really good, too. He gives such an evil look. Yes. All the way through it. And you can just tell she constantly wants to backstab her mistress. <laughs> and I, I like the one part where she licks the blood off the arrow. <laughs> I was like, well, you know you're evil when you're when you're pulling it out of the person, you're just like licking it clean. I'm like, oh, you don't mess with her. <laughs> I agree. No, she's great. I mean, this is so much here in this film. It's epic. They do some visual effects. He does do some playing with visual effects, but overall it still has that retro look. You talk about the spaceship. I love that the opening credits take place over that rocket. And it's the classic 50s rocket design with the flame coming out the back. I mean, it just sets the tone. This one is 20 minutes shorter than it came from another world. And I think that that ties in. I think he realized the pacing issues. He's like, let's just get into it and let's just do it. And let's keep things moving along. And I think that helped this movie out a lot. Once it gets going, it just moves at a nice crisp pace. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. Now, if I were to compare it to or tie it to a classic monster movie, I'm going to go to 1962's Journey to the Seventh Planet, partly because of the John Agar connection. (laughs) But I feel like that kind of epic nature of that film ties nicely to the epic nature of this film. How would you compare it or connect it to a a classic monster movie? This one I had trouble with. Okay. The the one I could come up with a little bit was... I hate to go back to Star Trek, but with the monster, the, I think it was the Ojo or OG or the monster yeah. Michael Kaiser played. It reminded me of the one Star Trek episode. I'm just, this is right off the top now where Kirk gets bit by a, a roving monster and the one woman heals him and it be, he becomes like her slave. Okay. It kind of reminds me now because like women are in power and the men are not. And it was kind of a little bit of reversal type thing. I really had trouble coming up with a classic movie for this one because I didn't realize you were going to be doing that until last night. So it was kind of, <laughs> that's true. I did kind of spring it on you, didn't I? <laughs> yes. So some of these are able to come up with some of them. This like, ah, I can't, if I can't come up with one for every one of them, it's I'm human. Yeah. Hey, no, it's all good. It's all good. Now we are missing the canoe cops. Uh, and I think we're even missing the actors, aren't we? I don't think Mike Cook is in this. And Mike Cook is not in this at all. Not even as a voice because the voice of the computer is Christopher R. Mim. Yeah, and, and Christopher Mim, I think he's in every one of his movies is either a voice or a cameo. And part of that's budgetary. I think he might be the only one that's in every movie. <laughs> you know, and I talked to Josh Kennedy about this too. It's like, why are you always in all your movies? It's like, well, nobody knows my schedule better than me. You know, so I mean, I get it. You know, it's a budgetary time thing, but it's also kind of become a little thing with him too. You know, he's he's the William Castle, the Hitchcock of these films now. So he's got to have that cameo, right? If it works for Hitchcock, who's going to complain? Hey. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It never takes away from anything, and a lot of it you don't even know it's really him. Right. When we get to Danny Johnson Saves the World, you don't know it's him. Nope.
on, darling. planet, a world with a seventh sense, can they make things and people appear and disappear? Who opened the airlock? Have they new and terrifying powers of mind over matter? Ah! His arms frozen. Can they reach deep into your subconscious to make you feel terrors more horrifying than you know of? Give us an hour. If we don't show up, you'll know you don't have to wait any longer. You have come to destroy me. But my weapons are more powerful than yours. Your own fears have created the means of your destruction. children, your children, are lost somewhere in the Wasawa cave system. They are in far more danger than you imagine. This situation could be quite grave. What was that? Sounded like bats. I hate bats. Those caves and all of its inhabitants have been exposed to high levels of atomic radiation. There is no way for us to know exactly what that would do to any animal living under those conditions. It's right here, Sheriff. It's looking at me. What is? What's looking at you? A creature of some kind. You unloaded two rounds into that thing and it barely flinched. Is that what took my kids? Is that what took my kids? All right, you mutated freak. Come on out and fight like a man. Or whatever you are. So we don't have Mike Cook in this one, but he is in the next one. Yeah, it's a very big role. And a very cool role. One of my favorite Mike. You know, I don't think Mike Cook's played a role I don't like, actually. Having said that, I love him as Dr. Vincent Edwards. Again, he's a scientist. He's a doctor. He's he's going to help. You know, he's a, a figure of authority and people trust him. Uh, Justin Overlander's back. And he's in a very prominent role in this movie as well. It's Terror from Beneath the Earth from 2009. And again, this one's a shorter film. It's like an hour nine. Yep. And I think that seems to be the sweet spot for Chris. As much as I love hanging out in the Mimiverse, this seems to be the sweet spot for a lot of his movies. You know, it's just barely over an hour. My thing's always been, and I'm sure you're the same way, you always want to be left wanting more. Yes. Once you start being like, oh, you're in there too long. And a lot of movies currently that are being in the major motion pictures, they're like two and a half hours, three hours long, bladder buster movies. <laughs> 
<laughs> they're not blockbusters or bladder busters. I like that. <laughs> and, and, and you're there. And if it's all working well, you don't notice. But when it starts right. to drag, you're like, oh. With Mim, it's nice. You get in, you do it. And that's, to me, the way the movie should be. You just you go through it and keep the action moving. If it, it takes two hours and 20 minutes to go, but it's moving – and you don't notice it's two hours and 20 minutes, then you know you did your job. Just It all depends on what the material needs. Yep. This one is a, an interesting film for me to look at because this one really does become kind of like his family movie for a while. Like all of his family's involved. His wife's got a lead role in this. You know, his kids are in it. You know, Elizabeth Kaiser and Elliot Mim are in it. Uh, it's a fun little movie. It's like what they did. That, what did you do with uh, summer vacation? And like, well, I made a movie with my dad. You know I mean? That's the kind of vibe that I get from this. Yeah. But I also really, really enjoy this one. Uh, this is one that I find myself going back to. You can see Michael Kaiser in a non-monster role uh, as Deputy Hayes, who turns up later on in the films as well. He becomes his own character that I'd love to follow, learn a little bit more about. Shannon McDonough does have a brief role, little cameo. a brief spot in this. Yeah, a little cameo to kind of to bring in some science equipment from the scientist who's no longer involved in the Memiverse at this point. Um, and I, I just really dig this movie. I, of course, get a thrill every time I'm able to recognize some of the music that Mim uses. And this isn't something that we've mentioned yet. In all of his movies, the music he pulls are from public domain sources. And there's music in this from Night to the Living Dead. And my previous life as a podcaster, I was doing the zombie thing, and Night to the Living Dead was a huge thing, obviously, for me. So to hear some music from that turn up in this in a very well-done manner, I really appreciated. And then again, I want to go back to Justin Overlander. I, I loved him as the lead character. I wish there was more Justin in the Memoirs. I know he's got his own thing going on now and he turns up later, but this was really a good role for him. I agree with you. And I think this is one of those where I was talking about, you see the growth. Uh-huh. He's so much better in this movie than he was in Monster Family. In Monster Family, he was solid. He was oh, good. Yeah. But you can see how those the intervening years, those few years in between, how he's gotten better in his craft, better at what he's doing. And that's what I love about it. Mike Cook, to me, he's like the Donald Pleasance of the Mimiverse. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's great. <laughs> he comes in, well, they kind of look the same, <laughs> but it's just, the, the roles he does, it's like he's in there, he's the science guy, he's this guy, and the way he, Rolls his eyes when nobody listens to him, uh-huh. which which really I love how it ties in with later on with Attack of the Moon Zombies. Yeah, and this whole movie, it's just you could tell they did it. It was great. I love the Bat character. Yeah, you know, again, we we got to keep pushing on for these action figures or figures or something. Right. I got I got a place on the shelf that could use Mimiverse figures. <laughs> right. I've been I've been on Mim about action figures for years. Him and and Mitch. So. Yeah, we'll see. Well, the other thing, when I was talking to him at Monster Bash, I was saying to him about, I would love to also have Bus. Yeah. Some of these different monsters, because th- to be honest with some of them, the-, the key thing is the head, as we'll get to, especially when Mitch Gonzalez comes in. Yep. And, you know, to get that bust part, that would it, it would be really nice to see. Yeah, I agree. But I'll, I'll, take, I'll take whatever I can get at this yep. point. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. But no, it was very good. It's all taking place in the caves. Pretty much everything happened there at the sheriff's office. And it was just nice how it all took place and how they kept that claustrophobic type look to it. 
he always says about his cheesy movies, you know, like they'll have some like cheesy special effects on purpose, you know, with the bat attack with all the bats when they're flying through, when it was scaring um, Stan Johnson and Rosemary Bennett going through when they were in the tunnels together. That's when they got separated. You could just see the strings hanging on them, but it, it adds to me, it adds to the fuck. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the thing, right? When you watch some of these low budget movies, you see those things, and I mean, you think about the flying saucers in Plan 9 from Outer Space, you see the strings. So what? You know, it's part of the thing. It's part of the aesthetic. Exactly, because you knew the bats were somehow going to come into play, because they're in a cave. Stan Johnson's character keeps talking about how he's scared of bats. So you knew bats, it's like Chekhov's bats. So somewhere <laughs> bats are going to come flying through the cave at one point. And, and it, so it had to happen. How is he going to pull this off? With a lower budget. Hey, he pulled and it he off. Does. He, he does. And he pulled it off. And what happens to the bad character or the creature, it's just very good. It's very well done. It kept it that, like you said, the sweet spot, that hour and nine, hour and ten minute pace. To me, it was a little bit like the predator with the bat oh. or the creature okay. going on where um, he's looking at them, but they don't. you don't really see him yet. Right. He just pops up. Huh. So try, I'm trying to find some... It's not a classic movie, but it's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, if I were to pair this up, I, I'd probably do a triple feature with this one, um, The Mole People. Part of it's because of John Agar and Dan Chervin. But I'd also throw Beast from Haunted Cave in there as well, The Beast from the Haunted Cave with Michael Forrest. Just, just kind of get a little bit more of that claustrophobic stuff going on. You know, and that's something that we haven't talked about yet either. Most of these movies, you mentioned the sheriff's office. The big set pieces in these things, it's Mim's basement. <laughs> he and his family turn up, turn their basement into their set. So all this cave work, it's his basement. You know, you go back and you look at some of the other movies, Axtafine uh, from Beyond Space and The Wall People. It's his basement. You, know, you just put different things on the wall. You know, you see all these movies and that he's able to pull this off and, and do this. Huge props to him and his family for pulling this off. From what I gathered from watching this, when Ben and I were talking, is if you really want to make a movie, you have a desire, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, really, because people, I think, I think sometimes think you need tons and tons and tons of money and all these other things. What you need is the dedication, the knowledge, and you can pull it off. That won't be as good as Christopher Mims. It, 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 it's hard to tell, but it, it can be done. Well, I mean, it can be done. I mean, everybody, you know, there's, there's movies that people put out all the time and yeah. they're not as good as this. I mean, and, and there's movies that they spend 50, a hundred million on and they're not as good as, uh, as a lot of these different movies. Mm-hmm. And then it's just the way it is. You don't need a huge budget to make a great movie. You just need a good script, yeah. direction and acting. Cause to me, the acting if you don't have a good script and good direction, you know, the acting could be really great, but it's just not going to go anywhere. <laughs> right. BC. To reach this lost civilization, science had followed a trail through burning desert sands, through the roaring avalanches of Mount Kuitara, and finally deep into the bowels of the earth. 
not even history had recorded the existence of this unknown empire of darkness. There is no world beyond ours. If I ever get out of here, into my world. The world of light and flowers. Would you come with me? Never before had outsiders beheld such sights. The sacred ritual of the sun death. The blazing sacrificial chambers. The court of the all-powerful high priest of Ishtar. You will die in the fire of Ishtar. The blood-lusting mole people storming from their subterranean caverns. trail with four men and a girl to the territory of the killer beast. Four men who live by killing. A girl who has experienced so much that only sadistic brutality can thrill her. Vicious and violent men. Attempting the most daring of daylight robberies. Enjoying midnight revelries until one orgy turns into a nightmare of terror. Ride the ski lift to the very top in thrills. What I saw, you wouldn't believe. Watch men who deal in death meet and fight the invincible beast from haunted cave. Go back. Go back. I've come to help you. You can't help now. You know, a second ago I said Jackson's no longer part of the Miniverse, but I take that back because he does turn up in in the next film. I, I apologize. Destination Outer Space, which does run a little over 90 minutes, and he does turn up in this again. And he's the same character from Caveman on Mars, isn't he? He's still Captain Jackson here. It's a sequel from that. Yeah. It takes place a few years after that, where he's um, suffered personal repercussions from that movie because he's now a drunk. <laughs> and he's no longer in the the, um, the Space Academy or whatever exactly it's called. And at this point, the biggest cast of characters. Oh, it's epic. And I remember I, I put this on Facebook this way. My tagline for this movie, Destination Outer Space, was action has a new name and its name is Jackson. <laughs> That's awesome. And, re-watch- and rewatching it, I'm sticking with it because this, this puppy has everything in it. I mean, it's, it's like he threw every science fiction thing in the kitchen sink. I mean, it was just like, wow. Uh-huh. It is <laughs> everything. <laughs> Action Jackson. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I'm on board. I'm on board. And this movie's important as well in the development of the Mimiverse because we've got Mark Hader 
and Ruby Gilinati uh, on screen for the first time. Yep. And I believe this is the first one Mitch Gonzalez was involved with. Correct. Which is. And we also find, and also in this movie during the end credits, we find out Christopher R. Mim's middle name is Ryan. I don't know how important that is, but okay. <laughs> Save that for the uh, the Mimiverse trivia book. Coming soon. Written by Stephen D. Sullivan. Yeah, yeah, probably. All right. Uh, Mike Cook's a voice in this, and, uh, you know, again, Stephanie Mims in this. Emma Scott Tallman's in it. He's not Sven. Is he Gustav in this one for some reason? That's how he's credited on the IMDb, and I thought that was odd. He's Gustav because he's the son. Oh, that's right. That's right. And he's been, okay. That makes sense. That makes, okay. Because this is set in 1992. Right, the future. The future. <laughs> 25 years ago. But it's the future. Yes. Uh, this one also, I believe, isn't Sid Corpy in this one? She is one of the uh, uh, yes. characters as well. And Sid would turn up in a couple of other movies as well. And Anthony Caxter, I I'm I'm apologize. I never remember how to pronounce his last name. Yeah, you're correct. They both played uh, the Edanish man and woman that yep. come up and say – to Adam, oh, high wise one, and they talk for a little bit, then they move on. Right. And they would turn up in a few other Mimiverse films as well. And, uh, you know, Sid actually plays one of my favorite characters in the Mimiverse, but we'll get to that. Uh, this one, it's a big movie, you know, and they even go all out with the poster art. Of all the movies, this one, I think grabs the most attention from modern movie fans, people who are into, you know, not necessarily into retro films, but they see the cover for this and it feels like an, almost like a 1980s science fiction film. That's just the cover. Now the movie itself is a 50s sci-fi film, but the, the poster art, which is, I don't know who did it, but it's pretty solid. They have t-shirts for all the Mimiverse movies with the poster art. I said to Ben, I said, which one would you want? And he said, destination outer space. And he had it with a black shirt. Oh, nice. There's like a whiteboard nice. around it. And um, you can look on the Facebook and see the picture of him with it. But it's just like, you look at it, you're like, oh, that just looks so good. Yeah. And the Oculons are great aliens. I love them. And another Star Wars reference this time with the Oculons. Because you, you have a reference to the shot in the first Star Wars film with the sand people with the, the stick. And they yes. play it forward, and then they reverse it again real quick. Yeah, you have that happen in here, too. So it's a nice little homage, a nice little reference to something, you know, Chris probably watched growing up a lot, like we all did. And I like how the Oculons had different abilities. They weren't all the same. See, these are another action figure I'd want. I'd love to have an army of Oculons. I mean, how cool would that be? you got to have an army in order for Action Jackson to take them down. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I also really like the robot in this. Adam, the big robot thing. The Oh, it's a great design. So retro, so cool. Yep. It played so well, body acting-wise, by Michael Kaiser. And um, I, th I think it was Christopher R. Mim, the voice? I believe so, yeah. So, but it was just done so well. You just enjoy it. I mean, it's got space pirates. It's got droids. It's got planets that were laid to waste by nuclear holocaust and then repopulated you have a cantina scene yes so i mean you've got it all right with the monsters the phantom Lake. yeah with the monsters i mean he's there it's great you've got shannon mcdonough in here she does the voice of with the computer so you still have that carrying over you've got her still involved it's epic and this one i think fits the running time like i said it's about an hour and a half and i feel like this one fits of course, it says at the end of the movie, to be continued, and, and there's yet to be a sequel. Um, <laughs> True. And, and Christopher Mim can't do the sequel. I guess we'll have to keep relying on our Star Wars, 
Stephen Sullivan. <laughs> can, you, can you write something? <laughs> Destination Outer Space 2, the return of Action Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, because he's got, he's got things left to do. But also, it has a Star Trek reference, you know, when, when uh-huh. he's captured and... Um, the space pirate tells him, you know, you're going to be taking this one collector who's going to put you in his menagerie. And he goes, I'm going to get out of this cage. I mean, Star Wars, Star Trek. I mean, my fanboy head was just exploding. It's it's solid work. Solid work. Now, I've been racking my brain trying to come up with something to pair this movie with. And I can't come up with something because there's so much here. So I'm just going to say watch a bunch of sci-fi <laughs> with this one. This one would pair well with any of them. That's all I got. I'm going to say because he steals so much from it in a good way with homage. Watch Star Wars episode four. There, there you go. There you because go. basically you're just going to love it because his character is sort of like a Han Solo yep. type character. Yeah. You have robots. You have everything on a galactic scale. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just a, it's just a very very good movie and it's it's just very enjoyable and it's amazing because. The amount of people he had just exploded. Yeah. And it just shows, again, the growth to go from cast of like 10 or so to, what, 30? I mean, or whatever, 25, 30 people. It's it's amazing how he tied all these things in, the Cantana scene and all that stuff. Oh, it's just great. This movie also featured the first time Catherine Hansen would appear in the Mimiverse, and she would go on to appear in a number of other movies as well with Chris, up to and including the most recent film, Demon with the Atomic Brain, which was great uh to see her make her mark in the memorverse and she would continue on in some of the other movies as well so it's cool to see her and get her added to the mix and that's one of the things that i love about the memorverse movies and i feel like we're about to see the shift here remember i mentioned i felt like there's a different eras of the memorverse yeah even though he brings other actors and actresses back he's always bringing in new blood as well and you kind of rotate through and to me and this is a good one to go out on because it's such a big epic film somewhere in space this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. It's a big, sprawling space saga of rebellion and romance. It's a spectacle, light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. It's an epic of heroes. Good luck. And villains. And aliens from a thousand worlds. in the making and it's coming to your galaxy 
this summer. Show her. What is that? That's just it. We don't know. Did you see that? It moved. Let's see if we can't get to the bottom of what really happened to you. And what are you supposed to be? So, what is going on? As far as I can tell, all-out space plant zombie attack. Destination Outer Space kind of ends the first era of the Mimiverse, because now we're about to get into... And again, not saying anything negative about the other films, but a marked improvement. I don't know what happened between this one and the next one, but there's this huge marked improvement in terms of storytelling, acting, pacing, editing. There's something that happens here. Maybe Mitch Gonzalez being involved had something to do with it, but there's a a huge jump into the next movie, which is actually one of my favorites. I wonder why. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, part of it has to do with the zombie thing, but it also, to me, Attack of the Moon Zombies has some of the best characters. I love Administrator Ripley, played by Sid Corpion. Oh, she does a great Huge fan of that character. The character itself and the things that she does, I'm a big fan of, not that I like to see characters die or anything like that, but if a character's going to go out, I want to see him go out making a heroic sacrifice. And I feel like you get to see that happen in this film in a couple of different ways. Uh, we also have the addition of Doug Sidney, Douglas Sidney to the Mimiverse with this film, who I think is a very important person when it comes to later films. We've got Mike Cook reprising his role as Dr. Edwards. We get to see what happens with him. And do we know what the year this one takes place in? It takes place before Cavewoman on Mars. And Cavewoman on Mars was taking place in 1987. So this is prior to 1987 in Mimiverse years. Because this is this movie is going to be after Demon with the Atomic Brain and before Cavewoman on Mars. So I would put it in the um, early 80s. Okay. Early to mid-80s, I'm guessing. I mean, that's that's me speculating. If I remember right, this is the one where um, Professor Jackson is President Jackson. Because his picture's on the walls, and he's the president. Well, the isn't States. the space station named after him as well? You know, now we're going to have to watch it again. <laughs> oh, darn. Darn. <laughs> Uh, you get Mark Hader uh, in the film a little bit more. Uh, you got Shervin, like I said, coming back. We got okay. One of my favorites. Dear God, no. Ugh, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Dear God, no. James Norgard as Doctor Gabriel. Man, I mean, he is a staple of the Mimiverse now, and I mean, this is his first appearance in the films, isn't it? Yes, it is, and it's he's. For what he does later on in some of the movies, one of them, I'm going to, I'm going to put out there when we get to it, 
but it's just he does one of the best acting jobs in any of the Mimiverse movies and one of the movies coming up. In my in my opinion. Okay. You know, it's 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 one of the top three. Okay. It's, it's gotta be in the top three and definitely the best villain role. So okay. you know already which one I'm talking about, but <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. oh yeah. He's he's really proven himself to be one heck of an actor. Attack of the Moon Zombies, it's a space station story, but it's a claustrophobic space station story. Zombies show up and they're not the traditional, you know, they're not flesh eaters, they're not voodoo. It's it's a sci-fi moon zombie thing, right? And they bring this plant up into the space station and it ends up zombifying the crew. And the design of the zombie is amazing. Oh. Not just the zombie head, but the hands. This was this yes. was the first film my youngest son watched with Ben and I, um, Patrick. And so afterwards, I asked somebody, he goes, those hands, and Ben said the same thing, are scary as all get out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so Mitch Gonzalez, if you did those hands, which I'm sure you did, those boys still recall the hands from the moon zombies as being just the best thing ever for Halloween. If you were to come up with a costume, Oh, uh, Mr. Mim <laughs> with, with the moon zombie with the hands. I mean, that would just be like, Oh, it would be right there behind um, creature of the black lagoon. Wow. In sales. Wow. That's high praise. Wow. Uh, yeah, creatures, creature. Well, that's true. That's true. But wow. Uh, I love the movie. It's a great film. I mean, this one, like I said, we it's it's a bottle show, basically. It's all on the space station, and it gets more and more claustrophobic as more and more of the crew turn into moon zombies. Uh, we get to see, dare we say, I'm going to spoil it, the end of Dr. Edwards and the relationship that he has with Dr. Hackett, played by Shannon McDonough, is sweet. So mm-hmm. it's a wonderful, a beautiful little kind of father figure daughter thing going on. Shannon McDonough playing this different character with different hair. It's a wig, but you know, it, it works. And she's such a great actress. She's able to make it a different character. Even without the wig, they didn't need to do it. And she still would have been a distinct character for me. And we get to see Michael Kaiser as another character as well. He's Glenn Hayes, who I believe is probably related to Deputy Hayes. They, they tie it into that. Like, you know, that is his dad. Yeah. Which, you know, I say this is the start of a new era of the Mimiverse, but you know, they still are connected. And it is the Jackson Lunar Base. I'm stumbling across that here. It's the Jackson Lunar Base. So it is named after him. Is this the first one that he released in Esperanto as well? I think it is. That I wouldn't know because when I the movies I got, they're all in Esperanto because when he redid them or whatever. So it's like a lot of them, they went back when they, they republished them. Yeah. A lot of them in Esperanto. So it's hard for me to tell you which one's the first one. Yeah. The characters' names. Yeah. For anybody that wants to, like, you go down them. It's like Buck Rogers in the 25th century, aliens. I mean, it's just amazing with the different tie-ins. Kiss. That he <laughs> Kiss. I mean, it's it's like all over the place for anybody who grew up, like we said so many times, in the 70s and 80s. Yep. Dan Shervin plays a character named Captain Herman Fraley. Come on. You know? <laughs> and that's going to come up later, too. So That's the thing that I love about these movies. I'd like to believe, and I know this isn't the case. At least maybe it's maybe it is. I don't know, Chris. I would love to know if you've got this huge database uh, somewhere, like a wiki setup or a family tree or something, just showing all the connections between all the characters. And when it's time to make the next story, you're like, okay, well, this person had a son who did this, and we can name this person after this person from this band. I want to believe there's like this master mem computer somewhere that sounds like Adam that <laughs> that tracks all this stuff for him. When Ben and I were watching this movie, and, and Patrick joined us, as it gets more and more, as you said, claustrophobic phobic it goes and it's getting worse and worse of course it ties in with all this with a lot of his references with alien 
Oh yeah. And except the creature is not eating the people, it's it's totally turning men, so it's like aliens. Right. The Doctor Vincent Edwards character's arc, because we get to see his beginning and his end. Mike Cook just brings so much to it with um the bottle of alcohol that he's given and the way he's drinking it and going through and the reminiscence. Did you get the Star Trek reference to the book he was reading? Well, I want to talk about the alcohol real quick. So the alcohol is oh, – okay. isn't that the, – the picture on the label there, I believe, is, his, is Chris's father. Yes, I believe you're right. And that's – when you watch these movies, you're going to see in the credits, you know, St. Euphoria in association with all for George Productions. George was his dad. And that's who uh, showed Chris these movies growing up in the first place. He's 1950s movies. So it's nice to see that nod carrying on through here. Uh, the Star Trek reference. Now, I did try to go back and rewatch all of these before getting into this one. This one is I like, did not get a chance to rewatch. Refresh my memory on the book. Get a life. <laughs> He's reading the book, Get a Life, which is written by Shatner. William yep. Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I looked at it, I'm like, that get a, I, was like, I had to pause it. I'm like, let's get a life. That's Shatner. You know, why, why stop at Captain Kirk? Why not just go That's right, right to the main? That's right. <laughs> Now, if I were to pair this up with a double feature, uh, as a double feature, I'm going to look at something a little outside of the 1950s. You mentioned Alien. I think that'd be a good fit. I'd also go with the green slime. I was thinking that one too, 1968, right? Awesome movie. One of my favorites. And, and you can't mess with all oh, the soundtrack. It's, it's in your song. head right now, right? Green yeah, that's slime. right. That's, that's, oh, it's always can... <laughs> in my head. <laughs> the lonely, helpless earth. The 21st century. World of the future. And lurking beyond the cold, strange immensity of conquered space. Growing and spreading beyond the warped imagination of the greatest human intellect. Exploding in unspeakable horror. The Green Slide. The civilized world at war with alien form, whose slimy touch means instant, horrible death. Invaders from beyond the stars, the green slime. Robert Horton. Luciana Paluzzi. Richard Jacob. You make too many mistakes. You're not right for command. This is my command, and I'll manage it. Two men struggle for survival in the infected remains of a diseased universe. One woman searches for a last chance to save the human race from the desperate hunger of the green slime. in space against faceless beings. A cosmic nightmare that sends you into the incredible berserk world of Green Slime! Green Slime! Green Slime!
So we go from this big space station story, right? What do we do next? Where do we go from here? Well, Chris has always wanted to be William Castle, so we have a haunted house story, which honestly probably isn't the most William Castle-y of the bunch, but he gives himself a nice little intro, right? Where he comes out like William Mm -hmm. Castle in House of Ghosts. Again, a completely different type of movie. You know, I love that he's kind of jumping back and forth. And this is something that I recently talked with him about. I think it was even in the last episode where he says he likes to make one movie and then the next one he wants to make it completely different. And then kind of go back and forth and let the pendulum swing. So you go from futuristic science fiction story to haunted house story set in what passes as modern day for the Mimiverse. We've got a lot of the same actors back playing different characters. Mike Cook is in here. Justin Overlander's in here. We've got Sid Corby back. Of course, Deputy Hayes is back because you got to have him now. Any modern day Mimiverse film, I feel like, has got to have Deputy Hayes. You got Jim Norgard playing yep. a different character in this. And is this the first time we see one of our absolute favorite Mimiverse characters, General Castle? I believe so. He's not in any, he's not in any movie prior to General Castle makes his first appearance. And I got a feeling. What happens in this movie here uh-huh. is going to be tying into a movie that's coming out. I don't know. I'm just guessing that a lot of this stuff, these little things are going to tie in somehow together with this, this one of these upcoming movies, whether it's this next one or a future one. Who knows? I have no inside information. I'm just speculating as any typical fan would do. My, my, my lips are sealed, man. My lips are sealed. You don't have to say anything. Your <laughs> silence speaks by <laughs> It's a great, it's a great little movie. It's a haunted house movie. It's set in a, Wonderful location. Now, uh, Sid Corpy and them are no longer involved in the Mimiverse, but they use Sid's home for a lot of this movie. And it looks fantastic the way they turn that into a 1950s kind of setting. And, of course, it feels natural. Well, what are we going to do? The power is out. What are we going to, you know, let's have a little party. Uh, I brought a medium to the party. Let's let's play with our Ouija board or whatever. Of course, that's what they did. It's a 1950s haunted house movie. And... It's just such a different vibe than Attack of the Moon Zombies. I love it. And this is one of those movies that I can watch over and over again. Yeah. I just I just enjoy it because I like House on the Haunted Hill. I love all those classic supernatural ones, the uninvited from the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. And this one just fits right in there. You could throw this puppy out in the 50s and it would fit perfectly in. Yep. And actually, you probably would have did extremely well. I agree. If it was actually released. I, I agree. I love... During the opening, the subliminal messaging. Yes. <laughs> Which, again, is something that you would see in a lot of those movies. They thought they were being clever and putting this stuff in here. It's just a gimmick, but so what? It's great. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the acting, Justin Overnight, again, showing the growth. Because this is like three years later. I guess he shows up every three years. <laughs> but... But he doesn't come in 2015, but it would be it would be funny because every three years you get Justin Overlander. He's good. But his Ray is great. I mean, it, to, to me, it was one of the best. Everybody does a great job. The way he acted and did it, it was, to, to me, his best role of all the three that he was in. Really? Wow. I just I just love the way he did it. Because the way it's the way it's portrayed, because just being in the 50s, the certain to me, there are certain undertones, which in relationships between Ray and Harlan. Yeah. Which they don't come out and express. But if you're looking for, you can see. Oh, it's pretty obvious. The relationship <laughs> between the two of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Between the two of them. But the way he, way he goes about it, and of course, he keeps getting hit on by um, Catherine Henson's character, Mary, you know, keeps hitting on him, which is funny because she's doing it in front of her husband. Right. <laughs> and how, how oblivious he plays it. 
and you you just wanted his character to make it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We also have a cameo in this film from the monster Phantom Lake real quick. Yes. We got the cameo in there, uh, which again, you know, showing that it's all still connected. I mean, we have a character in this related to a character from the first film, but we also have, yep. And then you've got deputy Hayes, of course. And man, I got to talk about general castle. I had the honor of introducing the giant spider at the Joy Cinema here a couple years back. And every time General Castle was on screen, he got laughs, he got applause. Now, he's a pretty despicable character, especially the way he treats women in the later films. But he's so over the top about it. And it's so obviously an homage to the 1950s. He's kind of endearing. And I don't know if that makes me a sexist pig, but, you know, he's kind of endearing, you know? I hear where you're coming from. It kind of reminds you that General, in those movies, where nothing ever really works out the way they plan. <laughs> right. You know, through the different films. Yep. You know, this one, actually, everything does work out the way he planned. It's kind of in a weird way, because they, they all, well, I don't want to don't want to spoil it. <laughs> well, you know, it's a haunted house movie, and not everybody gets out. Let's say that. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say, Arthur's death scene is, is to me, one of one of the best ones. One of the most that terrifying. Fil- yeah, it's one of the most terrifying monster attack scenes or, or attack scenes in any of his movies. And, and and of course, you see nothing really. It's 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 it's, and that's why I think the best horror films, monster films, ghost films, are the ones that leave it to your imagination to what happened to them. And a lot of movies nowadays, they go try to overtop themselves with the gore and and, and this and that. I think if you cut it at the right spot, you know what's going to happen to them. But in each of our minds, it's a little different. And in whatever way we thought about it, it's, it's going to be the worst way. It, yeah. And part of the reason this is so effective in this film is Norgard's performance. His reaction to what's happening to him is what brings you into the film, brings you into that scene. And that's what makes it terrifying. The man is just awesome how he goes about it and does it. And the acting with him, Mike Cook, Justin Overlander, um, Sid Corpy does a great job. You know, uh, there's really nobody does anything poor. No, all of them. it's one of the best solid performances by everybody. And I think that which makes this movie so good. I mean, because some of them you just don't like at all. They're designed not to be liked. Right. Mary is not a character that, that really has any, there's no reason to really care about her. And then, of course, the next, well, actually, before we get to that, um, you already mentioned the movie I pair it with, House on Haunted Hill, of course. I mean, I think that's probably the obvious no-brainer right there, right? Could you imagine if Christopher R. Mim had Vincent Price oh, in a movie? <laughs> man. If he had the resources. This is one of my favorite questions to ask him. I ask him every once in a while. If he had a time machine. Who would you go back and act with? Who who would you go back and get to be in one of your movies? I don't think he's ever said Price. He always says Agar, which obviously. But yeah, wow, it'd be amazing. When we get to Where's Skeeter, Nazi Hunter, I think James's character, that's the closest we have to like a Vincent Price performance. I could see that. I could see that. And, and that to me, oh, well, we'll get to that one soon. I know it's coming up. This is Vincent Price. I've been involved in many blood-chilling films like The House of Wax and The Fly. But never have I played in a more terrifying shocker than my new picture, The House on Haunted Hill. It's a story guaranteed to make you shudder with fright. See The House on Haunted Hill, if you dare.
from outer space epic haunted house what's another staple of 1950s monster movies the giant bug genre right so we've got to have what is to this day one of my absolute favorites of his films the giant spider i mean the the title says it all it sells itself it's got some amazing monster design. It's the last time we see Shannon McDonough in a Mimiverse film, and she goes out on top in another wonderful performance. Dan Shervin's oh, excellent. Oh, yeah. and Dan Shervin's one of the leads doing his Agar Ness best. It's a great film. It's set at a drive-in at one point, so you get to that vibe. And oh, I love this movie. This is one of my absolute favorites. We get to see General Castle. We get to see Dr. Gabriel come back uh, from Jim Norgard. We get to see... A lot of Mim's family, you know, Danny Johnson's in this, Evelyn Johnson's in this. So we're going to see them come up later. Stephanie Mim is in it herself as Rosemary Johnson, which is a follow-up carryover from uh, the previous films that she was in as that character. So she's been married since then. This is one of my absolute favorites, if I haven't made that clear. <laughs> what about you? I enjoy it. It's in my, it's in my top four. Okay. Okay. I would put three above this one and I enjoy it. It's, when I did my Facebook ratings of rankings of all the movies, yeah. I used baseball because it was in July. Okay. And so I was like, oh, baseball's on the mind. So I, I, I rated the movies as singles, doubles, triples, and home runs. Okay. Where would you put this? And this was a home run. Okay. There was, I think, seven, if I go off the top of my head, I think seven of the movies were home runs. And it started a streak with Attack of the Moon Zombies where all these home runs just keep go all the way straight up through where Skeeto. And it, with the Monster Family being the first home run. So this one is, is, is very, very good. It's a solid film through and through. Uh, we talked a little bit about the um, Shannon McDonough character from Attack of the Moon Zombies. We get to see her as a younger person in this film, which is kind of cool mm. to have her in that in that regard. And again, General Castle. I mean, he steals the scene every time he's in there. Just and part of it's because I consider Mark Hader a friend and having spent time with him at Monster Bash, he's even, yeah, I firmed up that relationship even more. But even before then, I just love seeing him on screen because I know he's going to say the absolute wrong thing every time, but I can't help but root for him anyway. You know, it just dawned on me. Yeah. I know why this is one of your favorite movies of the Mimiverse. Oh, okay. I know another movie you love. Uh huh. Love. I think it's called The Black Scorpion. Which is going to be the movie I'd pair this up with. Yep. (laughs) 
which every time they showed a close up of the spider, all you can think of is the black scorpion. They did that on purpose. Tribute to it, totally on purpose. Yeah, I talked to Mitch Gonzalez about it because I saw a picture of it, and you know, on the thing, I was like. That's like the black scorpion. He goes, exactly. That's what I was going yep. for. You know, I'm like, you know, cause I hadn't seen it yet. I said, this ought to be really good. You know, and the way he did the spider going through the town. And if you go back, go back and watch bird eye Gordon movies. Yeah. He does a very good job of utilizing that spider and making it look like it's really there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's right up there with the master of the bud movies in presentation with that bird eye Gordon. You know, I said black scorpion would be the one I'd pair this up with, but you could also pair it up with like earth versus the spider because of that, for that very reason. There are two different types of effects happening here with the spider. You've got the models or prosthetics or whatever you want to call them, what Mitch is doing. And then you also have the visual effects of an actual spider that they filmed and then superimposed or did whatever magic they do in the computer to put it on the drive-in screen and have it going through town. The giant spider leg is great, and I love the close-up of the spider face. Because it's so Black Scorpion, which, again, you know me too well, my friend. I love that film. I remember watching. You, you were talking so highly of it. I was like, okay. Oh, TMC. They're playing the Black Scorpion. You know, DVR'd it, watched it, and I'm like, Oh, I see where he's liking this. <laughs> this is this is. Nuts. I mean, and of course, of course, in that one there, there's a lot of stop motion by Willis O'Brien. Yes, but I was just saying, I was trying to remember Willis O'Brien, but it's just like you're watching. It's just like, oh, this is so good. And this movie, The Giant Spider, is just very well done. The acting again is spot on with over the topness references. Did you catch the reference to the Tingler? Um, tell me more. Well, you remember Sid, her and her husband, Anthony, are out there with the goat? Yeah. Okay. She says to him something I'm trying to remember exactly is, oh, I know I should have married that theater owner, the one who married the deaf mute. Ah, uh, there we go. Nice. Nice touch. When I heard them, I'm like, oh, my Lord, the tingler, Vincent Price. Nice. <laughs> I'll tell you, one of my favorite characters in this is a guy who does one of the uh, ceasefire voices. I think his name is uh, Derek Koch. I think is how you pronounce his last name. To me, it just I kind of that, that one always took me out of the movie. Oh, okay, it took you out of the movie. I see. <laughs> uh, full disclosure: I have had my voice turn up in a couple of these films, so if I speak highly of them, it's not just because of that. Just saying. <laughs> I've been in none of the movies, and I still love. Okay, them. there you go. There you go. Nightfall, monstrous animals crawl out of crater of volcano. Great herds of cattle stampede before this living inferno. Vast area devastated by appalling new horror. A creature named the Black Scorpion by panic-stricken people of San Lorenzo. Entire population prays for deliverance. For miles around, cowboys came upon one dead steer after another. One of them had heard the tale of the demon bull of the Maricopa having lost family or friends, something absolutely unknown. We could be in another world. Nation's leaders confer as news received a possible threat to capital. This is a city of four million people. If word of these leaks out, the panic of the population could be worse than the scorpions. The black scorpion destroys communications. Hundreds annihilated.
never achieved before by any science fiction picture. Thousands in the cast. I told them to bring me one, and I'd believe it. Oh, I can't say I blame you, Sheriff. But Flynn is still missing. Deep into caverns whose very air is putrefied by the stench of death. <laughs> they search ceaselessly for a missing man, or possibly a giant spider no one really believes exists. Except the high school teacher who knows his science and his students. There'll be more giant spiders coming into the world. They may even be hatching from their eggs in some remote spot right now. Do you realize how easy it would be for them to overcome us humans? A horrifying spectacle. Its existence shocks and fascinates the world of science. Its gigantic claws capable of crushing a man. Or tearing a woman apart as if she were a fly. But nothing sends the cats like the presence of out-of-this-world horror. A heart-stopping experience that defies man's imagination. That shrinks every woman's skin with the tension of terrifying withdrawal. As if a thousand spiders were taking possession of her body. You'll never believe it until you see it. You'll never forget the touch of the spider. I'm William Castle, and I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is The Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that The Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction how you can guard yourself from attack by The Tingler. And now may I show you a few scenes from The Tingler? Thank mm -hmm. you.
would feed you. With X, the fiend from beyond space, and the wall people. A crew of interstellar explorers must fight an unstoppable alien fiend from beyond space, hell-bent on consuming them all. Will they survive? Can they survive? And on the same program, a man must fight to save his only child from the clutches of strange invaders who use their advanced technologies to steal sleeping children through their bedroom walls. Are your children safe? Two terrors to tear you apart in the late night double feature. I mean, how do you top the giant spider? Well, I guess you make a double feature. So we move into the late night double feature and it's two stories. You've got a little animated bit. You've got a commercial between the two films for the burger dog, which is that still a thing? I, I know at one point they were actually selling the burger dog. I don't know if it's still out there or not, but not, not that I would know. I guess we'll have to go to a drive-in and research it. Yeah, <laughs> Vegetarians, I can't enjoy it, but. You know, if it's still out there, that's cool. You got Doug Sidney in here again. You've got Dr. Gabriel in this again. Dr. Edwards is going to turn up. You got Catherine Hansen as a witch. You got Dan, Dan Shervin as Captain Freely again. Yep. And this one's interesting. Like I said, it's two different stories, but it's still one movie. And when I had Chris on the show, we were discussing, do we consider this two different films when we're talking about how many movies he's made? Or is it just one movie with two short stories? I don't know. I don't know if it really matters. It doesn't have an impact on this. I don't know. I consider it one movie, but when he gave me the in-universe chronological order, he breaks them up. And that makes sense. Because he has to. Obviously, they're not in the same time zone or time frame when they take place. But... This, to me, I think, is getting lessons learned from earlier films. Instead of taking material and trying to make it fit movie length, go where the material is leading you, time frame-wise. Yeah. And I yeah. think, again, he learned that lesson with that second movie, and here it shows. And he had two different ideas for about 45 minutes each, roughly. You know, and say, so let's put them together and put them out. And it's just brilliant. The Wall People is one of the trippiest movies he's put out. I love it. I love both of these. I, I think they're both great. X, The Fiend from Beyond Space, I think has one of the best monster designs from Mitch Gonzalez. <gasps> but in terms of just weird, The Wall People delivers. Ben, we got done watching The Wall People, which is second of the double feature. He said it reminded him of Inception. <laughs> because yeah? what's real? What's not real? Did it really end? Or is it still going on in the thing? Is he imagining it all? Is it all in his head? Yeah, who knows, right? Are, are the rest of the Mimiverse all in his head still? Is this like a St. Elsewhere kind of thing where it's all the in the mind of an autistic kid playing with a snow globe? You know, what? what is the deal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, because it was just, it was great because I kept going back. I thought maybe when he first came back, the one time he came back in time, but oh, it was all in his okay. head. Because they're like, oh, they're coming back up. And then, and of course, our two favorites, Mike Cook and James Norgard, come in and Norgard does it, that punch it. Goes, well, now you know it's reality or whatever. Wake up or something like that. It was great. Yeah. But Douglas Sidney is just awesome in this movie. Oh, Doug Sidney is great. I am so glad that Mem and he found each other. 
And Doug said he turned up in a handful of these movies. I, I don't think he's turned up in much. Well, he's in Whiskito, obviously, but I don't think he's in Demon with the Atomic Brain. You can't be in everything. No, you can't. No, you can't. But he's really good in in this one and in Whiskito. Great actor. Three of them, and Catherine Hansen, she does a great job too, but the three of them are like the majority of the movie. He carried it. Mostly the wall people is mostly him. Yes. And what he does is Barney Collins and just the way he gets those emotions and goes through it, it's just really good. And how he figures out how he's not in reality was awesome. Something else that I really enjoy about this film, especially the wall people, we have another name to add to the Memiverse, and that name is Norman Yeend. Norman Yeend did the stop motion animation in the Wall People segment, and he would later do some other work as well. Norman Yeen's interesting to me because he has a tie to another one of my absolute favorite properties. He's down in Australia. He's made movies down there. But when they did a season of Ultraman in Australia, he worked on it. So I've got a connection from the Memiverse to Ultraman, which is awesome. <laughs> it's just one step away from Godzilla. <laughs> hey, there you go. You there you go, man. There you go. But that stop motion. So yeah, it was cool to see him in that too. That was the, up to this point. The one thing that was missing in the Memiverse was stop motion. Like, yeah. Ray Harryhausen is like, oh, yeah. So to have have some of this in here, what else is he missing? I can't think of anything else monster movie wise that he's missing at this point. He's got it all. He, has, he hasn't done a blob like creature yet. Oh, uh, that's true. I know we keep teasing him. You know, he needs to do a superhero movie. He was going to do a western for a long time. Uh, the 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 last big joke, according to Mark Hader, is that he's going to make a Sombrero movie, which is just a luchador film. But uh, I would love to see that, too. A monster rally. I want to see a monster mash with, like, the bat and the giant spider and, and just all these different things doing stuff. What I love about this movie, like you said, it's short. The stories are short. If I would had to double feature it with something, I'd say episodes of The Outer Limits for X the Fiend from Beyond Space and then Twilight Zone for The Wall People. I mean, that's exactly what these things feel like to me. And... If I understand, if I remember right, I think the wall people is something that he's had in his head for quite some time. And it kind of goes back to that whole thing I was saying to begin with. He's got all the, it's been bubbling in his head. It's been fermenting in that mem mind for so long. By the time it came out, it was so well developed and so well put together already. It was just a matter of just connecting the dots and making a movie. X to Fiend from Beyond Space reminded me so much of John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, I could see that too. And I would partner those two together put it with the thing and it's just because you don't know who is who and they, they really played it up well at the end and I think again it worked great tiny tinies together with twilight zone outer limits i mean it just would work perfect because again they're that same time frame that same 45 minute that, and could you imagine if you had the resource like you said if you had that million dollars these would be the kind of films i could expect to see in a Mimiverse one-hour TV show, I, man, I would do who I would do all sorts of things to not only see but somehow be involved with a full season of a Mimiverse anthology show. Every week, a different story set in the Mimiverse. Some weeks it might be a sci-fi future epic. Sometimes it might be a haunted house story. Sometimes there's a giant bug. I want to see that anthology show so bad. So, Chris, if you're listening, get busy on winning the lotto or something so you can do that. Okay. <laughs> Or, you know, you and I could win a lot of just give them a million dollars and live off the rest. <laughs> well, if I, yeah, I, yeah, after I paid the bills, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> Thrill to the awe and mystery of the hidden world, the outer limits. 
town must be utterly destroyed. An example must be made. Stand back. Beneath the Earth was, you know, let's get the family involved. Let's make a family movie over the summer. We have that happen again, but this time it, the, the family's bigger. <laughs> okay. You know, because you know, he's had a, at least one more child, if not two, since then, I think. Anyway, Denny Johnson saves the world, finally giving his son, Elliot Mim, a lead in a film. Coming back as Danny Johnson. This is... And we talked with Chris about this last week. The most family-friendly of the films. That's not to say it's not enjoyable by kids of all ages. Yeah, it's got puppets. But it's also got one of the coolest robot designs I've seen in a low-budget monster movie, period. It's got some pretty terrifying things. It's got some great stop motion. And Elliot carries the movie so well. I mean, that kid, depending on what he wants to do with, I don't know what his plans are. But Elliot's a good actor, and he delivers. He does a very good job. Was it Casey Elliott plays Gabrielle, the girlfriend, not girlfriend? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cassie, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. she does She does a good job also. They're very believable. I mean, they're children. And what do they say? You never want to work with children or animals. Well, those people haven't met Mim's kids. Yeah, and he does. He so goes, I think they're great. Yeah, exactly. He's great. And puppets. Of course, my favorite <laughs> character. Of all the memiverse is in this, Steve, <sighs> ignore me. Follow Steve. That's right. Is that not a, is that on a T-shirt yet? He needs to put that on a T-shirt. He really does. I've already put on my Christmas list. I saw on the Mim site they have like Steve's. You can buy the thing called Little Steve's, and they have Pocket Steve's. Pocket, pocket, pocket Steve's. Steve's. But they also have the puppet, and you can that that, that his wife makes or whatever. I already put on my Christmas list. I want Steve. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Steve's a fun character. Uh, I like that. I mean, he changes, right? I mean, he's he's a villain, and then something happens to him, and he becomes Danny's ally, and it's great. And and I yes. uh, speaking of Steve, I love that when Chris announced what the next movie was going to be, 
in a little video that he put out. Steve was actually in that video as well, like really excited he was going to be in the next movie. And Chris had to tell him, no, sorry, there's not a role for you this time. Sorry, pal. I love that too. I mean, Steve's just a fun, heartwarming type character. I'd hang out with him, you know, for another movie or two. But I think part of the reason I like him so much is the interaction between him and Danny Johnson. It's the Mimiverse E.T., type movie yep. yeah obviously a lot different than the et movie altogether but i mean really it's it's a boy and his alien or an alien and his boy whichever way you would look at it <laughs> it's like it's like sherman and his boy you know yeah it's just a very good film and i know you said you talked to him it's like the most family oriented as i said earlier i think all these movies are family oriented oh that's true that's true the one that might be the least is the next one <laughs> but even then yeah um, it depends how old your children are. This one, I mean, there's definitely all ages. And I just really enjoy it. Out of all the ones we've seen, I've probably seen this one the most because every time I watch it, I'm usually watching it with somebody else. So like Ben and I saw it. And then, then Ben and I and Michaela saw it, my daughter. Then Ben and I and Patrick saw it. And, you know, it's so I've seen it four times. No, five, I take that back five times. And it has... Special effects that are nice. Again, the stop motion with the dinosaur and meat <laughs> are, are very well done. Cartoon eyes in the dark, just like you would see on the old cartoons going through when they're walking in the dark, you just see the eyes until the light gets turned on. It's got missile command references in it. <laughs> oh, which I love. And a reference to one of the best Christmas movies of all time. A Christmas story. And this is the Christmas movie in the Mimiverse. I know people are like, well, it takes place during Christmas. It's not about Christmas. If Die Hard is a Christmas movie, Danny Johnson Saves the World is a Christmas movie. <laughs> you got everything you need in this film. And you got James Norgard saying, dear God, no, not once, but twice in the same right? movie. I'm a big fan of this one. And I feel a little talked out about this one because I did talk about it a little bit last week with Chris. I did say I'd probably pair it up with something like Space Children or something like that. But because it does have that Christmas element, maybe we throw Santa Claus conquers the Martians in there as well. Gold mine! You oh, stole no! mine! <laughs> Dear God, no, man. But I love the robot design of this. I love that Hunter robot that Mitch created. And I mean... If you really look at it, it's a garbage can with some laundry hose on it. So what? It looks so good. I love it. I love that monster, that robot design. I want an action figure. I want an action figure of everything from the Mimiverse. You guys hear that? Chris and Mitch and them? Just, that's that's what I want. You, don't stop making movies, but action figures of everyone. I think you know, both said that many times. We, we, we need the action figures. You know, Derek wants to play with these action figures. Right? I want to set them up. And knock them down. <laughs> so don't make don't make them out of something that's breakable. Right, right. I know you talked a lot about this one, but I love how it had the opening sequence set in the current time, modern time, whatever, and it's a flashback. Yeah, you know, going back to what happens and how it sets up other things that happen to him. But James Norgard again, he's in there. Yep, he helps tie the whole thing together. He does with his his presence. I mean, how these two ran into each, I don't know, but again, Mim is so lucky. I don't know what does Minnesota have like a breeding ground for <laughs> all these good actors or that nobody knows about. It's something in the water and it's not atomic waste. You know, I'm just saying, <laughs> well, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious when he sent you the chronology, did he say where the opening and closing bits from this movie take place in the chronology? That's the interesting thing. He has 
Danny Johnson saves the world after the wall people, but before attacking the moon zombies. Okay. Huh. So I'm not sure if he's going by the flashback sequence or the prior sequence. That It dawned on me later on when I was talk, talking to Ben. I'm like, you know, I wonder which way he meant this. Because I was trying to think Danny Johnson to be a grandfather, like his age. It's like I'm trying to you know fill in like how things would have happened. I'm not overthinking it. I'm just going to, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can't, do, you can and get a different <laughs> level of enjoyment out of it, but you don't have to. I mean, the, these movies work on all these different levels. What does it look like? I, I can't describe it. The hideous part of it is it's making the children obey its every command. The children are completely in its power. And we're in the power of the children. <laughs> Space children, spreading a network of terror through a top-secret missile base in a nation's desperate hour of decision. Space children, the dangerous pawns of a power so strange that no sentries can stop them. Why did you let those children inside here? Dr. Woman, what children? No rocket can rise anywhere in the world. Four, three... Two, one, fire! No army destroyed them. Get those kids out of there! Santa Claus conquers the Martians! sets up a fantastic automatic toy factory on Mars. The Martian leader battles the wicked Bodar in a desperate effort to save Santa, the wise man of Mars. 900 years old. The Battle of the Toys, when Martian kids and Earth kids join Santa to battle the bad guys of Mars. For real space-age fun, you'll be out of this world when Santa Claus conquers the Martians. Invitation said dance party on the beach It'll be a camp out near the deep blue sea So come on down and have some fun And we can make one race out in the sun Thought that was pretty strange but I went anyway All the guys were suspenders and their heads were shaved I thought to myself this is a total mess Everyone here has an SS on his chest Let's get around in the nick of time Just as the party goes well Do the Whisky-Do 
You don't use step. No, 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 don't put your right hand up. No, 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 there's only one step, and the dance is done. Just move down Nazis with the captain gun, yeah. Swing the pendulum back to the to the Nazis. I don't know. <laughs> wow. We go from this to Wereskito Nazi Hunter. I'll say it right now. My favorite movie. Really? Put out so far. Okay. Now this one has some throwbacks to the 40s. I guess it's set in the 50s. It's I'm gonna use the word that Chris uses all the time about this movie when he talks about this movie. It's dark. So we had a little bit of color in the giant spider in the opening credits. Okay. Yes. But this movie is the first time we actually see color incorporated into the story itself. Kind of like that one shot in the tingler or the end of, I was a teenage Frankenstein. We have some color thrown in here. It's very effective. It's, it's kind of scary. There's a lot of incredible Hulk vibe in this. Oh, I was going to be bringing that reference up. Lonely man. If you had some, if you could have got the rights to a lonely man tune, when, when he was walking around, <laughs> I would have been like, oh. Yeah, so Nazi Hunter is about a guy after the war going back to find the Germans who did some terrible things to him. And that German is played by Jimmy Norgard. Jimmy. James Norgard. I, I, they call him Jimmy on the Memphis Bonfire podcast. So I'm sorry. Mr. Norgard <laughs> plays Shrum. Awesome. And he, oh, wow. I... I am blown away by his performance as Shrum. I think this is the best villain that Mim has come up with. And he's terrifying. Hello there, little piggy. Man. This is one of the reasons this is my favorite film. Because a lot of films, especially in the horror genre, to me this is this is like the Wolfman combined with the Incredible Hulk combined with a, a detective film noir. Yeah. The villain has to sell you know because you want to see the villain's downfall he is so villainous shown in the flashback sequences which i think was brilliant to do 
Because if they would have just saved him all for the end and had him doing it, it wouldn't have worked as well. But the way he did it as an ongoing flashback sequence, so you could see the torment that um, his character goes through the whole movie by Schramm. It's just, it's just wonderful. And because this villain is just so, you want him to lose. You want him to die. He's the Hans Gruber of the Mimiverse. I mean, it's just, <laughs> uh, the acting he does, it's just, I don't think anybody comes close to, as any villain in his movies, because most of the movies, his villains are monsters, so they don't really have any dialogue. But it's just, he goes through, and it's just its just amazing how well a good of a job he does in this movie. And, and following playing Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and, or Dr. Gabriel. He's never been a villain, you know, and here he is. And suddenly, it's, it's just like he deserves a Mimiverse Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> he does a great job, but also Douglas, Sidney, and Rachel Grubb. Or, is it Grubb or Grubb? Sure. <laughs> okay. I always said Grubb, but maybe, yeah. Grubb. I don't know. I'm just wondering, you know. The two of them, their relationship, their acting, it's just, because they're the three mains, and they just bring yeah. it. And then you got Mike Cook in a scene-stealing Carl Schmidt. Again, the Donald Pleasance of the Mimiverse. Yep. You get into the whole thing, and it's just amazing. The head of the wear Skeeter, the costume design, was great. And I love it. He does his Dear God No in German. Man, Schramm is just, he's a nightmare. He's just a nightmare. And this movie does tend to go a little more realistic in terms of some of the horror. Now, obviously, he turns into a Wersquito, which isn't realistic at all. But just the way he's performing that role. And you know what? I want to give it up to Mitch Gonzalez because he plays Schramm's bodyguard, assistant, whatever, associate, Heinrich. Heinrich. And Heinrich. he doesn't say much, if anything at all. But he's an imposing figure right behind Trump the entire time, just watching, and there's this twinkle of glee in his eye. It's it's pretty terrifying. He does say a little bit of dialogue, something like, I'll, I'll try to make sure this doesn't hurt much or something. But you could, he has the, the dead, cold eyes. Yeah. Of, like, I'm just going to kill you. Yeah. yeah, I've just been wanting to kill you. Um, kind of reminds me from The Magnificent Seven, Ooh. James Coburn, as you remember his character with the knives, how he always had that look in his eye. He didn't have much dialogue. I think he only had like seven lines in the whole movie or something like that. But you just knew. Yeah. You don't want to mess with huh. Yeah, I could see that. Now, I don't know what I'd pair this with. It's tough. I mean, there's a lot of Wolfman elements in this. Teenage Werewolf maybe a little bit because there's a trigger to the transformation. Obviously, the Incredible Hulk TV show. You know, there's the John Carradine zombie movies like Revolt of the Zombies where he's a Nazi trying to do stuff with zombies. But – and, and Mim is doing this on purpose because he said this in the interview I had with him last week. He's trying to do things that are completely original, that still feel like that era, but don't really call back specifically to a film from that era. So I don't know what I'd pair this with. This one's tough. I agree with you. I mean, it, it is extremely tough to put it in with. I, when Ben and I first watched it, I, the first thing I thought of was right. the Wolfman with Lon Chaney. And, that, and that's the way Douglas Sidney plays it almost in, in a different way. Cause he's, he's, here's this guy who's just, he knows he's got this curse on him, but he has the ability to take care of the people that actually did it to him. But it is a very tough one. Like I said, cause it, it's, it's a detective movie. It's a, it's, it's 
it's Wolfman, it's the Hulk, it's all these things thrown in together. And I, and that's, again, what you and I have been saying over and over, what we love about Christopher R. Mim's movies is that they tie in so many things from the past that right. make us the people we are today. So you can't help but have references to things in the past, but he did make this totally new. And reason another reason I put it as my favorite, you see him as a filmmaker grow so much over the the 10 years from 2006 to 2016, 11 years, 11th movie. Uh, it's just amazing when you watch this. I don't know if you would have, if you'd had the same material back in 2006, I don't think he could have done this, but his personal growth and ability with the actors growths and abilities. It's, it's just, he's hitting in all cylinders. I agree in this movie. And, and, and that's why I'm so looking forward to the next one. What's going to be with the next one? And, and I know people might say, oh, high expectations. When I first went to go buy the Mimiverse movies, the movie I was most wanting to see was Where Skeeter Not Enter. If I was only going to buy one movie, this was going to be the movie I would have bought. So I saved this one. I went through all the movies. This one was dead last. And this is the one I was looking forward to the most. So I went into this movie with high expectations, expecting it to be. You know, because I heard you and him talk about it on one of your podcasts, and I'm just like ready for it. I saw the mask, saw the you know the creature design. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good, and it delivered. And then the ending, <laughs> Ben and I just dropped our jaws because it was like the ending of the movie Split, and that's oh. all I'm going to say. And the only way to get that out of it is to watch these movies in order because I don't want I don't want to say which movies to watch before this because it'll give it away. But you watch that, you're just like. Oh, man. <laughs> and we backed it up and watched it again and we were just like oh that was just great but i think if you if i would have just watched this movie by itself that ending wouldn't have done anything for me but but having watched the rest of them and going through that 11 day odyssey because i watched them all straight every day after day i watched each movie and it's just when you got to that one it was just like oh that was the cherry on the sunday it was <laughs> like i said seven of these movies are home runs this is a grand slam oh yeah <laughs> yeah and not only a grand slam but the darn ball went out of the park <laughs> i find the flashback technique that he's using very effective i like stories that don't have the traditional timeline. I like breaking things up a little bit and to have these two stories involving the same character taking place at different times concurrently through the film. There's a maturity as a filmmaker here that he didn't have 10 years ago, right? So you see this film and you see the way he's telling the story. And then the end is very cool. The end is very cool. And you know, there's that one bit that just ties it all together to the Mimiverse that's just, mm, it's very well done. It's my favorite film in terms of his technical ability. I still think The Giant Spider is my favorite movie overall. But in terms of his technical ability on display, as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, this is it. The only reason I put this ahead of Giant Spider, and again, Giant Spider is a home run. I'm not trying to knock Christopher, I'm not knocking it. But the reason I love this one again so much the acting, the directing, the the editing, everything is just hitting. And for me, you just get pulled in. You want to see how this ends. You want to see how it goes and how it yep. all ties together. And then, you know, Shram has, like all mad scientists do, 
a backup plan. And it's like, because <laughs> he's so cool about the whole thing. It's just wonderful. And, and, and this would be, I mean, James Norgood is like channeling Vincent Price in a good oh, way. Man. Not, you know, Vincent Price when he was on his A game. And and yeah. and things like that. It's which, which I know people say. Does Vincent Price have any game but an A game? I'm just saying. And sometimes he <laughs> sometimes he needed a director to roll him in. <laughs> the character, everything is just so wonderful, and I, I'm just amazed how he's able to pull this off. As we talked about earlier, on the budgets that you can't even get a used a good used car for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the man, the man is a magician besides everything else. I mean, it, and how he does it, it's just, it's just wonderful cinematography going on with his 11 movies and, and, and soon to be that 12th one, which I know you and I have to wait for the, the DVD to get mailed to us. Just wasting your time. The wolf beat you, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next. Atomic Brain, first of all, best title ever. Uh, the movie, by the time this comes out, will have had its premiere. And people will start getting it in the mail. And I can tell you, it's a really, really good movie. I have seen it. And it's 
phenomenal. It's solid. It's got great performances. It's grand in a way that some of the earlier movies were grand, but even more so. And there are some things in here. I don't want to give away any twists. Okay, There are some story elements here that if I talk about it, ruins the movie. And because it's officially not out yet, I don't want to say too much there. But I will say that the acting is very good. He's got some of the best acting he's ever had in some of his movies. And I don't want to paint a picture that is putting your expectations up too high. Like you said, you bought these movies, you were worried that they weren't going to live up to the hype. The acting in this is solid. There are three lead characters in here that I really enjoy and would go on another adventure with in a minute. These guys, these characters are great. And one of these is the person who played Stephanie Yates in the musical Monster of Phantom Lake, which we should talk about. My scientific expertise has earned me three doctoral degrees. So please call me Professor. An academic life I lead with leather patches on my tweed, so please call me Professor. Most folks don't know an iota about the phylum name Atoda, yet they find an earthworm's wiggle rather cute. But I could lecture for a day on protozoan DNA as a joyful intellectual pursuit. Recreation to dissect a red crustacean, so call me Professor. Fancy parties I abhor when they're lacking Neil's bore, so call me Professor. When I study plants and fungus, the endorphins are humongous, running to my hippocampus through my hypothalamus. My heart goes pitter patter when I ponder antimatter at symposia where cosmic radiation is discussed. Instead of a vacation, I might write a dissertation, so call me Professor. My life would be horrific without method scientific, so call me Professor. You may see a twinkle in my eyes whenever I hypothesize, and when I start to fantasize about the Nobel Prize. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm a fan of all things protists, whether plankton, moss, or algae of a microscopic size. Oh, I love the musical. My daughter is a theater major in college. Um, My son, Ben, does a lot of theater shows in high school. My daughter's more behind the scenes. She's the props mistress, as they like to call her. And um, they're getting ready. She's getting ready to do Carrie the Musical. Oh, wow. And yeah, and Ben is um, getting ready to do a a musical. I'm trying to remember. It's it's something about the flight of the lawn chair man or something like that. Um, (laughs) Okay. I haven't seen that one yet, so I don't know. And, and of course, both of them fall. Both of them are on the same day, same night for me to have to. I can't be in two places at once. I got to pick between kids. Oh no! Uh, it's, it's it's the way it works sometimes. Oh man! But also, I did some stuff with theater in the past, so I love the transfer. Adam, I don't know his last name. Do you know Adam's last name? Uh, Ball. Is that Adam Ball? Ball helped. I think he did. He and Mike Cook nurtured this, and I think uh, if I'm correct, um, Christopher Mim wrote the script for the music. Right. So the three of them took Monster of Phantom Lake, turned it into a musical, and I'm telling you, it is wonderful. It is wonderful. Um, there's there's only a couple songs in my mind that just that don't for me don't do it. But you have paddling along, rock and rolling all the way, rambling, being done. You have what is it? Uh, uh, I think it's dump it in the lake. Call me professor. <laughs> all these songs going through the movie. Elizabeth's song is. Pretty good too, where she's scared. Of, I forget what it's called, oh, but the one where everything. she talks about being scared yes. of everything. Yeah, that's a great song. Um, I don't have the CD with me because my son took the CD and the DVD copy to his um, high school 
teacher, the theater teacher, and he likes it so much that he also does community theater during the summer. He wants to run it. He's trying to contact Christopher Armim and Adam about getting um, the rights and the scripts or whatever so he can do it out here. So I might actually be able to see this live either this summer or the following year. Oh, wow. And which to me, it's just, it's just going to be great because, again, the beauty of, the, of, of something with a lower budget is community theaters like this can do it. And it's basically the same plot as the movie. You have the canoe cops. You have Mike Cook. So if you get the DVD performance copy, Mike Cook is in there. Uh, the guy who plays the professor, he does a very good job. They all, everybody does a great job, but you asked me this earlier. The, the, the one thing is, is I think that the, the Stephanie Yates character was better in the movie than it's being portrayed in the musical. Okay. But that's just personal taste. I mean, it's nothing against her. Not the acting as much as the singing. I didn't care for her singing okay. as much. It's, her acting was fine. And, of course, the teenagers are actually more closer to teenager age because <laughs> I think they got college okay. students. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it's just wonderful to see. And, of course, when you're watching it, remember, it's not like a movie where they can do it from all these different angles. It's basically a theater performance being shot from a distance with them zooming in and out. And it's just, it's just amazing how they ran it and did it all. My daughter, when she saw it, just loved it. And, of course, being that she's the production side background, she was – able to catch stuff that I would never catch. They used clothes sticks in the bottom of the trash can to make it look like it was radioactive and this and that. And she was naming all how to use different cloth, different lighting techniques, you know, that yeah. and dude, I'm like, wow, you know, she's a senior. The money I'm spending is paying off. <laughs> <laughs> I think for anybody that, that likes the sound, that likes songs, likes musicals should love this. And I, I think you watched it for the first time recently. Yeah, so I'm a bad Mim fan. I kind of held off on watching this one uh, because I wanted to talk about it on the show and I wanted to have it fresh in my mind. So I held off and watched it yesterday. And, okay, it's a live production. So it's a theater production. Does it translate well to DVD? Well, they do the best they can. And I know that Chris edited this thing did the best job he could pulling different performances to make this thing flow. And it works. He did a wonderful job with this. You do know you're watching a stage production the entire time, but because of the way he cut it and because of the sound, the sound is solid. It doesn't take you out of it at all. It works as its own production. Is it technically part of the Memiverse? No, not really. Chris made that clear last week when he said it's kind of like, you know, it's an, an adaptation. I'm calling it the expanded universe of the Memiverse. But if you're a fan of the Memiverse, you're going to be a fan of this. And even if you're not a fan of the Memiverse, there's still so much to enjoy here because it does send up the 50s movies. It's got some great songs. Dumping in the Lake is just <laughs> a lot of fun. You wanted that big paycheck, so you sent an application to the fat cats at the factory who run this operation. You could have had some la-dee-da, white-collar occupation. But you gotta do the dirty work when you're in sanitation. From the richest one percenters to the homeless in the gutter, from atheists to Catholics, like my own beloved mother, 
You may find this thought bizarre, but my job has shown thus far. No matter who you are, you still got garbage. What do you do when your shoes have worn through and there's no way for you to repair them? You could bid them adieu, donate them to Peruvian kids who'd be happy to wear them. Where do you go when you've got to dispose of a mess without spending a buck? There's gotta be somewhere that we can chuck this atomic waste in the back of our truck. When you're on the road with an overweight load of a fissile nuclear matter. There's no cause for alarm. No one's ever been harmed by a fissile nuclear splatter. Where do you go when there's no place to throw all the trash that a landfill won't take? Dispose of it easily, nature's way, make no mistake. Just dump it in the lake. Everybody's dumping in the lake. Toss your dregs and droppings in the lake. It's only natural to dump in the lake. Everyone does it, there's nothing to fear. No one's ever been hurt by mistake. If everyone does it, there's no one to blame. But don't tell anyone, just partake. Just, just partake. Everybody's dumping in the lake. Oh, so many things to dump in the lake. Batteries, antifreeze, worn out clutch. Witnesses have seen too much. Fishing poles, boots with holes. The opening song, the opening song, they, they filmed four different, I think it was four performances yeah. and that he videoed. Did you notice the moving stump? Oh, because I, yeah, I did. <laughs> Depending on which performance they showed, there was like, oh, there's a stump and the stump's gone. The stump's back. Now it's gone. I mean, it, it's, it was just kind of, to me, that's the yeah. char. You know, because first like, did I just, wasn't it there? Oh no, it's not there anymore. And it's like, oh, I have to remember it's four performances and one of, I guess one person on the stage crew forgot to move something. Yeah, and it was moved on the rest. No, it's it's a solid musical, and and even if you're not a fan of musicals, and I, I don't dislike musicals, but I don't have a lot of musicals in my background. I, I couldn't speak intelligently of about musicals. I still enjoyed it. There, there's one thing that took me out, one teeny tiny thing, and there is a reference to the one percenters in the lyrics, and I thought, well, okay, that's that's a more modern term. Wish that wasn't there, but other than that, I was on board. I didn't have a problem with the Stephanie Yates character as much, but then maybe going back and rewatching it and comparing it to what we had in the film, I don't know. I also have the CD. It's one of the things I get to listen to the songs a lot more than, than you have. So sometimes I'll be listening to the, you know, there, there's certain songs like, eh, I heard it, I'll skip over, and there's other songs you just like to hear. They make a few changes, tiny, tiny changes between the original movie and the musical, but not enough to you know, take you out of it. It's pretty solid. And again, all of his movies are available for $10 on his website at stEuphoria.com. And you can get the CD for $9.99, the CD of the musical. Come on. By the way, Attack of the Moon Zombies and Terror from Beneath the Earth is one, two movies on one disc. Yeah, it's a double feature. Double feature, but not the double feature. 
No, which is by itself. Yes. <laughs> now, I've watched them all in release order. Okay. And I recommend anybody coming fresh to the Mimiverse do that. Star of Monster to Phantom League. Definitely start with that one. If you want to jump, you know, because you're not big into sci-fi or whatever, then you could jump to, like, Terror Beneath the Earth and then continue on from there because the next two are more sci-fi oriented. But I enjoyed, as much as we said about, like, it came from another world not being our, our favorite, I enjoyed that one. Mike Mason's character does a great job in it and, you know, that kind of stuff of acting. And I, again, it, I guess because of my Star Trek background, I really had a lot of fun with it. Oh, uh, okay. But I would definitely recommend watching them in release order. Because I think, like we said, when you get the wear Skeeto, it's like, whoa. <laughs> and you'll lose that whoa if you watch them in reverse order. <laughs> now, Mim also gave me a thing. He gave it to me on Facebook. After I watched them all, he says, because I asked him about it when we were at the Monster Bash. So what order did they take place in the Mimiverse? And he goes, when you finish them all, I'll send it to you. Okay. So after Ben and I finished them all, he put it on my Facebook page. He said, this is the order that it happens in the Mimiverse. Okay. Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter is the very first film in universe. The monster Phantom Lake would be next. It came from another world. Like we said, a direct sequel, so it follows. Terror from Beneath the Earth is number four. Number five is House of Ghosts. Number six is The Giant Spider. Number seven is The Wall People. Number eight is Danny Johnson Saves the World. Demon with the Atomic Brain is supposed to take place after Danny Johnson Saves the World. Okay. Pack of the Moon Zombies is after that. Cave Women on Mars. Destination Outer Space and X, the Fiend from Beyond Space would be the last one if you're going in universe order. Okay. Huh. And I did that. I watched, When I rewatched them all, a second, most of them was my second time watching them, I decided to go through in the universe order and it was, it was enjoyable. And actually, for me, because I felt, to me, the two weakest movies, in my opinion, were It Came From Another World and Cave Woman on Mars. Okay. I enjoyed them much better in this order. Really? Uh, because you okay. weren't back to back okay. for me. And I think also when I first watched those two, Ben and I were doing them at night. And sometimes you go into a movie, if you're not in the right frame of mind, if you're a little tired or whatever, it could affect your, your viewing pleasure. So st- sometimes if I don't like a movie or don't enjoy it as much, I try not to always blame the movie because it could be me, the viewer. I'm not in the proper frame of mind to, to, to enjoy that movie. Sure. If you, if you get what I'm talking about. I totally do. Things, I'm kind of like you. It, it's rare. Ben says to me, you never you never say you hate a movie. It's like, well, that's true. Because there's always something good in every movie. Right. But that kind of stuff. But I've really, with these 12 movies, of course, I haven't seen Demon yet, but I got a feeling I'm going to love it. <laughs> I'd recommend for people, it's a wide variety of stuff. You can pick and choose. You've got giant monsters. You've got supernatural. You've got puppets. You, I mean, you got science fiction. You've got everything things combined together if if you're listening to this podcast this half these movies are going to be in your wheelhouse steve is not wrong are they classics i think a couple of them are they're, they're, they're going to live a long life like where skeeto you and i both talked about um the giant spider you know uh, the attack of the moon zombies the house of ghosts 
those those are like my top four. My top top five would be Danny Johnson saves the world right in there. Oh wow! And depending on what mood I'm in, two through five rotates around. Yeah. Number one, every time I thought about it, has been Where Skeeto. I asked Ben, and and his favorite one is Where Skeeto, Nazi Hunter, and one of his other favorites is Destination Outer Space. Oh wow! Okay. Interesting. And, and I can't remember. I know number one's where Skeet. I'm not sure where Destination Outer Space is, but he's been showing them to his friends. And um, and those are the ones he keeps re-watching. Okay. He also likes Danny Johnson Saves the World a lot. Well, I think it goes without saying that, that Steven and I are huge fans of the Mimiverse. And I would love to know what you guys and gals think of him. Do you have a particular favorite if you have one that you would recommend over the others? Do you disagree with what we've said about some of these movies? Please call it in and, and let me know, and you know, I'll play it on a future episode. I'm going to mention the voicemail here. I'll mention it at the end of the show as well. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. Uh, it's 4795MKR. Or you can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com and let me know what you think of the Mimiverse and what you thought of this episode and whether or not we should have Steven back. Actually, no. I, I've decided we're going to have you back. I you know, that, that's in my hands. I didn't know if you were doing a poll. Is, is this going to be like, um, which, what a Robin will live or not in the Batman <laughs> comics? You know, set up a 900 <laughs> number for that. No, no, we'll have you back on, Steven. <laughs> it's it's going to, it's been awesome chatting with you and catching up with you again after Monster Bash. One of my favorite memories of Monster Bash is meeting listeners of the show and, and fans who have become friends and both meeting you and your son was just awesome. So thanks for making the time to do this. I know the original scheduling uh we had to push it back a week so thank you for your patience and understanding there and yeah why don't we pick a movie to talk about in the future and have you back on at some point well no problem i would enjoy doing that you still listening we probably could have watched i don't know two or three or maybe even four of mim's movies in all the time that we talked about all this i know it was a long conversation but it was good and i had a blast chatting with steve and about the films now, as far as Demon with the Atomic Brain goes, no spoilers from me because this movie just came out. We are less than a day removed from street date, so I'm not going to spoil anything. But I will tell you this. I loved it. It is a really solid movie. It does a lot of things very, very right. And it does a lot of things for the Mimiverse. It's opened up some opportunities for even more types of storytelling. It demonstrates that Mim and company have grown leaps and bounds as filmmakers, as storytellers, not just from the beginning of the Mimiverse, but just within the last year since Wersquito. He really upped his game. The performances, super solid. The actors that we end up at the end of the movie, those characters are great. I'd love to meet up with them again in the future. And the performers playing those roles, some of the best that he's ever had. Of course, Mitch Gonzalez and his mask making is on full display. And the monsters that he made? <laughs> I want action figures, man. All right. You're not just going to hear about it from me. Like I said at the top of the show, Rich Chamberlain, Jeff Owens, Stephen D. Sullivan, they were at the premiere and they sent in this audio file. They do get a teeny tiny bit spoilery, but not enough to ruin the movie. They just kind of mentioned maybe one of the monsters and... One of the concepts. It's 17 minutes long. If you don't want to be spoiled at all, we'll just skip ahead and then I'll check in with you at the end of the show. Hey, Derek, this is Richard the Monster Movie Kid, and I'm in Minnesota right now, and I've got some friends along with me. I've got to my right, Mr. Stephen D. Sullivan. Hey. Hi, Derek. Award winning author, we should say. <laughs> Multiple award winning. Oh, wait, did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and to my left, uh, I've got my uh, partner in crime from the Classic Horrors Club podcast, Mr. Jeff Owens. Yes. Hello, Derek. Hello, everybody. And we're sitting in the very strange, huge atrium in the live-in in Minnesota, which used to be a pool, apparently, but now it's the world's biggest atrium. <laughs> <laughs> it is late on this uh, Wednesday night. After midnight. Uh, after midnight. So there's we, a full moon. There is a full moon tonight. The witching hour. So if something happens during the recording and you start hearing some howling, then at that steep, he finally yeah. finally transitions. Converting to my man wolf persona <laughs> from my uncanny radio days. Well, hey, we're here to talk about Demon with the Atomic Brain. We had the privilege to attend the world premiere at the uh, beautiful Heights Theater. This evening, uh, virtually just hours ago as we record this. And um, Steve, why don't you start us off? Tell us about the experience tonight and, and what did you think of the movie? Obviously, it's, it's Chris's, uh, Christopher Mims' newest film uh, in his Memoverse series, which is what he works in. And uh, those of us who've heard, those of you who've heard us talk about this before, know that uh, probably all of us here at this table enjoy the Memoverse films. And uh, this one promised to be slightly different, and somewhere in a middle path between the the comedy films and the the high drama that was last year's Wersk, you know. And I think it I think it hit that bill. I think it's uh, you know it's science fictiony, which appeals to to my wife. She was uh, very pleased with it. She thought it was uh, one of the best films that he's done, and I liked it a lot too. It was a, lo- a lot of fun. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh Definitely science fiction-y, as you said, and, and just virtually 10 minutes ago, speaking with uh, with Chris, he said that's it felt good to get back to that. He says that's kind of his favorite genre. That's where he feels, I think, the most comfortable. And, uh, yeah, he definitely kind of hearkening back to some of the early sci-fi films that he did when he started off, but with a much more polished look, a much more professional look. Yeah, it's... it's- a lot more developed than, say, Destination Outer Space. Absolutely. It's, it's uh, of course, we had the usual great special effects yep. from Mitch Gonzalez. and uh, Yeah, his, uh, his masks and his uh, prosthetics were really, I thought, really outstanding this time. I don't know. We, multiple creatures in this one. Right. right. Just because you said it was sci-fi, that doesn't mean there aren't monsters in it. There yeah, there's some... definitely a, a lot of monsters. We. Maybe the most monsters he's had, actually. I think so. I mean, I, I guess we're maybe getting in spoiler territory. We don't want to do too much of that, but you're definitely going to see a jellyfish-like creature. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to see. Uh, I, I don't know what we would. What would you Wait. call the the mutant tree creature at the end? I don't, I, yeah, uh, Mitch was calling tree wraiths. I think was what he said. Okay. Call them. So yeah, we don't want to give everything away. And there's a. a a Norman Yeend stop-motion animated creature, too, that uh, appears in the beginning of the film and actually takes the place of a what had been previously a, a hand puppet in the in the trailer. I don't know if yes. you guys remember that. But, uh, yes, I the, do remember uh, that. It looked like a stop-mo creature that, that Mitch had come up with, but it was actually some kind of a hand puppet, and that's actually been replaced with a real stop-motion and it looked, I thought it looked great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Norman's really, really good at what he does. So it's always a pleasure. Anytime, and anytime you see real stop motion in a film, that's always a plus for me now. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, I will say it right now as, as people start purchasing this movie. And, and Derek, I know you've watched it already. 
Um, no, your eyes are not deceiving you. There are hints of color in this film, ever so faint, uh, that I think was a really cool addition, a cool touch that they added to this Yeah, film. it's kind of strange, though. Otherworldly. Yeah, I kept expecting it to either go further than it did or to fade out entirely again, and it never kind of did. It kind of occupies a... And Christopher said that's as much color as he ever wants to see in one of his films. <laughs> I heard him say Well, we that. had the, the orange hammer-esque blood in Wersquito, right? which I kept thinking last year when I saw that it reminded me of the Tingler. Right. Price. And we have the, the color titles of the giant spider. Which is the homage to them. them yeah. right. Which has a, a color. For those of you that haven't seen them, and why have you not seen them, <laughs> go out and see them. It's a great yeah, film. You shouldn't be listening to us if you haven't seen them. If you them. haven't seen them, stop now, watch them, then come back. But it's got a, a, the only color in the film is the title of the film. Which is, I, I remember seeing them as, as a kid, and when that pops up on the screen, it, it's, it's surprising. It's surprising. It's much like when I saw The Tingler. I've told this story before. It's like when I saw it, my dad had, had gone to bed. We were watching it together on the creature feature on a Saturday night, and that sequence came up. And I'm like, it blew my mind. And I told my dad about it the next day, and he's like, oh, you must have fallen asleep. You must have <laughs> dreamt it. Six months to a year later, we're sitting watching the movie again. And that scene comes on, and my dad just kind of looks at me, and I said, "See, I told you." <laughs> and and I just every time I see that, I think of my dad. So right, yeah. And that's that's what I thought of last year when I saw Warsquito. So, but now you get a little hint of color. There are there are little hints of color throughout, and it's not just like the blood. It's 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 really subtle in the fact that there were there were people there that were like, "Did I really see that?" Well, it's like uh, part of me. <laughs> yeah, part of a part of a creature, part of a scarf that you know one of the characters is wearing. Mm-hmm. Just little hints. A little throw some throw rugs or furs on the floor. Then, then there's a point where you can actually see a little flesh tone, a little color, in the, a little blue color in the eyes. It's fleeting. Stuff. It's fleeting. It's, it's very. A, it's an interesting effect. And but it goes with the otherworldly moments in the film without giving any plot elements away. It's like. You're definitely seeing some other realities, and I think that that's that was a perfect touch. Right, and for people that dug the Wall People, which is one of my wife's favorite of Mims films, I think they're going to dig this too. There are even some a little connections to the Wall People in terms of the backstory and stuff of of this uh, film as well. So I don't know if you guys caught that, but they were talking about Pluto, and they were talking yes. about you know things that had gone on. I thought I thought that was a connection. Yes. Right, yeah. So, well, Jeff, what did you but, think of it? Oh, I, I enjoyed it a lot. There were a lot of new faces in this one, new people that were new to the Mimiverse. Uh, I thought the lead uh, was very good. Uh, her name Amanda. Oh, I, boy, we should have brought a copy of the film out with yes. us to look at the. But she's the very good, and she is definitely the heroine of the story, which is sort of a role reversal for most uh, '50s movies of this type, I guess. And the, the two male leads are also very good as well. You know, there's the kind of the, the tough one. They're both tough macho guys, but there's the one that's kind of straightforward and the other one that's kind of sexist. <laughs> and they both play that, that fairly well, and there's a little role reversal in that going on too. And, it's, you know, it's got the usual memorous winks and nods and sly reversals. Yes. And that's... Uh, and I think some of my favorite parts were the playing around with the familiar characters as not spoiling it, but as they kind of encounter different versions of them on their travels, uh, especially yeah, Mark Hader is 
a lot of fun. General, that that <laughs> was I love that. Yeah. yeah. So in addition to new people, you do have returning cast members like James Norgard and Mark Hader doing their tradition, some of their traditional roles in the Memiverse, and we get to see them doing other things too. And uh, regular Mike Cook is in a role which we've never seen him in before, and that's that's a, a real treat. That as was well. there was definitely a lot of humor uh, elements to this film. Which I think you didn't have a lot of that in Wersquito. No, Wersquito was, was very a very straightforward, straightforward, drama. which was an excellent film. It is nice to have the the, the, the lighthearted humor back in right. the film, um, which I think just adds to. The, and this this film was what was the length of this one? This you know, one? I didn't. I it didn't was check. Hour and fifteen. Hour and fifteen. Yeah, really, which I think is for these films is like a perfect time. Yeah, I think 75 80 minutes. minutes. Yeah, I agree. I think you're that's that's what you want to hit. I think you get anything longer than that, a lot of times you end up with padding. Right. And there was no padding in this. Once the uh, once the trip they go on starts. Once it starts because you have a little bit of explanation at the beginning, gets all the details out of the way and then it never stops after that. Yeah. Uh, and right up to the the very end and, and the credits are rolling. I think there was a very nice twist at the end, which was which was fun. Yes, yep. uh, and we'll leave it at that. But um, great premiere tonight. I mean, uh, we got a chance to see uh, the monster up close in person. Right. We, uh, one of great, the monsters. One of the monsters. Great crowd. Yeah, uh, there were, it was. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a completely full house, but it was very close. To it full. was pretty close to it. I. I think there was more people here than last yeah, year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there were, yeah. Yeah, they had a really good crowd, and of course and a beautiful fall night, And these, too, so. these things are always such fun. It's It really should sell out every year, and it's kind of a shame that it doesn't. So people that have any chance to come out and do one of these premieres, come well, and do it. And that was one thing, and I, I don't know if, if you know why the reason is we do the premieres on Wednesday nights as opposed to... Friday or Saturdays, is it just availability? It's, it's because you can actually get the theater That's to do it what on I Wednesday thought. nights. <laughs> and Friday and Saturday. They I think if you did a Friday or Saturday night, you could probably sell out easier because there will be people right. who might not be available yeah, during the week. I think did one on the weekend, maybe maybe not. But yeah, the reason he doesn't do it, he does it on the night that the, the theater is willing to give up their gate for his film to play. Yeah, which makes slot. sense. Yeah. So. It makes sense. So. Is, I mean, that's just good economics for a small theater like this. So, And it's going to be smaller next year because they're going to have put in bigger seats. So, Which I think is, is nice because these seats are small. And yep. unfortunately with theaters today, you got to stay competitive. you got to stay aggressive. Right. Well, everyone apparently wants to feel like they're in their living room nowadays when they're in a theater. You get spoiled by that once you sit in a nice, comfy little automatic recliner it's hard to go back to the old school seats. Although there have been times when I've been in the, the newfangled automatic recliners and I've actually put them down and just sat in it like a regular movie seat. I, I've done the I've same. I've been doing that, you know, for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I've done the same thing. It and depends on the recliner. Some of those recliners, to me, are more comfortable just yeah, sitting. We have in a it. good set of them in our in the local theaters but uh, there's some days when I just don't want to have my feet up when I'm watching a movie <laughs> so I don't know is there a chance that it might might change venues next year if there's going to be less I don't know I, I think Chris was actually I, I, there's an upside and a downside and I think the the downside is it's fewer seats but the upside is it's always good to sell out your premiere so yes. with fewer seats it's going to create gonna a scarcity sell. and you know, it'll sell out faster, and that's not which, a bad which thing. would be nice. That's a good thing. Yeah, which would be. Nice. It's so, always nice to have a good. And so I don't know. I don't know which. Everyone there is a fan of these films, and that's. Just, right. I mean, you just don't get random people, and these are people who 
want to be there to see the premiere. Generally, although they do have some walk-ins off the street occasionally. Yeah. They had, they had one tonight. That's so. true. He was talking about that. One <laughs> lady who didn't know what it was and... One of the other folks that hyped it up <laughs> regularly here hyped it up to her and got her to come and buy tickets. So hopefully she had a good time. So Derek, there's be limited seats next year. You need to start planning now to be at the 2018 film premiere of whatever the film may be. Perhaps a western. <laughs> yeah. What was he? I didn't. I missed. I didn't know if I wasn't in on a joke or what. Is he seriously considering? Do you think making a western or or? And if he did, would it be a straight western or would it be a sci-fi type there, western? I don't think he. I don't think he could get away with making a straight western. Yeah. I, I'm, not sure he could either, but the, apparently one of the, the recent films they saw was a mod, the modern western. It's the one that was playing tonight, and I don't remember the Wind name. River. Wind River. Wind River. And he uh. thought, oh, would it be cool to make a western? But then there's been such kind of a push for it among, I guess, some of the actors and the fans that now he's not. <laughs> he's not sure he wants to do it, yeah. One, one thing, if you've spent any time with Chris, you know that the movies are his, and they're all his. And he wants them to be all his. So the more you say to him, hey, you want to do Canoe Cops versus The Mummy? The more he says, Steve, why don't you write that? (laughs) (laughs) So we'll we'll see. I'm betting betting against a Western. But we'll see. It'd have to be like the Phantom Empire or uh, Cowboys versus Aliens. There'd have to be some type of of aliens or space or something. Right, yeah. it, It would have to be a weird Western, I would think. But... The plan right now, as far as I know, is that he's going to announce what the next film is on Halloween. So we'll know soon. So we've got. Well, we will know soon. Just a couple of weeks. By the time you hear this, yeah, well, uh, be I'm, time to get ready. I'm going to echo what these two guys have just said. I, I love the movie tonight. It's, it's it was a lot of fun. Great new faces, familiar faces, and different roles. Um, again, everything about it is just what you come to expect in the Memorverse film. Fun. Uh, a lot of love and attention being given to the film. Um, great special effects, great uh, makeup work. Yeah, I thought Mitch's makeup work was outstanding in this. Yeah, and the, just, the monsters are great looking. And the the uh, so does Mitch really do good. like the? Yeah, he does the prosthetics as well. Yeah, as and everyone the, I'm sure can see me the what I'm doing. Right. you know, on my <laughs> That's face. A great podcast. There are there are right some now. facial there's some facial makeup, right. and so Mitch does right. all that. Yeah. So Jeff was rubbing his chin. You couldn't see that on on the yeah. microphone yet. <laughs> Someday, well, Derek, I think we'll cut it here because I know you're squeezing this in. We're getting this in in the thirteenth hour at this point. Right. But uh, definitely, uh, everyone needs to go to SaintEuphoria.com. Sydneyford.com right. and uh, buy your copy of Demon with the Atomic Brain. It's available now. It's another great thing. Right, it's not very expensive. It's when when 10 you bucks. when you see these movies, you can walk out of the theater with your own DVD in your grubby little hands. You can get them on Amazon too, but get them from Chris. He'll sign them for you. Yeah, get them from get them from and Chris. And while you're there, than... get the lobby card set. Get the get anything <laughs> else that's out there. Get, get the I movies mean, you don't have. I, I walked away with with a poster and and lobby cards and, and a ray gun and a ray gun. I, I will. I'm I'm a 12 year old kid right now. <laughs> Big shock. Anybody who knows me, I won one of the ray guns from the movie. And uh, yeah, ch- check out Facebook. I'll be posting the picture of me being a goofy kid shooting <laughs> shooting the uh, the creature. The <laughs> yes. And I believe if you pre-ordered the movie, it's 
shipped and you probably will have it tomorrow so well, everyone that gets it in the mail enjoy it it's a great yeah, time was, uh, spent two hours at the post office last night mailing things so <laughs> so you will have it soon by the time you hear this probably you already have it and if you haven't ordered it why not yeah go go order it you know if you like the giant spider if you like where skeeto which are i think two of his best i think this ranks right up there with them i would so agree it's really you know yeah definitely one of his best it's old school in terms of Harkening back to the more science fiction stuff he had been doing earlier on, but yes. it's with his modern sensibility and his, his skills. And monsters. Right, yeah. You got, he, he loves science fiction and monsters. So, Mr. And Spielberg, we got a guy to direct your next your next produced picture, so just call Chris. Hollywood up. needs to call. Call Derek. Call me. Call Chris. <laughs> call somebody. We'll get you in touch with him. All right, Derek. For... Uh, Myself, from, I guess, let's minor plug phrase kccentophile.com, monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. For me, cushinghorrors.com, sdsullivan.com, classichorrors.club. And uh, with that, we'll sign off. Take care, and uh, we'll talk to everyone soon. Yeah, we hope you'll see you all here next year. Yep, missed you, Derek. Bye. Big thanks to Stephen Turek. Rich Chamberlain, Jeff Owens, Stephen D. Sullivan, and Dane even from the top of the show for contributing to this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. And of course, congratulations to Christopher R. Mim and his cast and crew on the release of Demon with the Atomic Brain. SaintEuphoria.com. There's a link in the show notes. Go check it out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you his way. I can't wait to find out what he's going to do next. Steve and them mentioned it when they called in. Typically on Halloween, Chris will announce the next project. So pay attention to Facebook and YouTube because this is where you're going to see the announcement about what the next movie will be. I don't know if it's really going to be a Western, but if it is, oh man, that's going to be cool because I know it's something they've joked about for a while, but who knows? Chris hasn't told me anything. I can't wait to be as surprised as you guys and gals are come Halloween. Speaking of Halloween, this is October. This is the month of the greatest time of the year for us monster kids. I want to know what you guys and gals are doing for Halloween. You know, here in Portland, Oregon, I have a lot of things that I get to do. But I know there are listeners around the world listening to Monster Kid Radio, and you have all sorts of activities happening in your neck of the woods. And I know not all of you are on Facebook. Obviously, if you're on Facebook, please post there what's coming up in your area, and maybe you can meet up with some other Monster Kid Radio listeners. But you can also call us. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Send it in. Let us know what's going on in your neck of the woods or what you're doing for Halloween. I'd love to share your Halloween plans with the rest of the listeners. I'll be sharing mine with you, like what's coming up in my neck of the woods. I've got a number of screenings happening. There's talk about Scarathon 3 happening at the Joy Cinema at the end of the month. Don't know a lot about it just yet. He's told me what movies he's trying to book. But as of right now, Jeff Martin doesn't have anything locked in. Although he did post on Facebook earlier today that King Kong Escapes is almost locked in as one of the films. And that's going to be awesome. That's one of my favorite kaiju films. Mechanic Kong, Road's Reason. Come on, man. That's just fun. Anyway, he's looking to get that up and running, and I'll be introducing some of those movies as well. The week before, I'll be at the Joy Cinema, because on October 20th, he's showing Nosferatu, presented by Community Movie Night. It's going to have a live band providing the score for this silent film classic. It's going to be newsreels, cartoons, who knows what else. 
We're crashing the Joy Cinema. Again, it's October 20th. It's happening at 9 p.m., $8 to get in. I'm going to be there with my recorder recording for the show. What else is happening this month? Well, if you have a Regal Cinema near you, they're doing a handful of monster movies this year. And I'm super excited because part of their Horror Fest 2017, a double feature on October 16th of the original King Kong and the original Them. I need to check my calendar, see what's going on on the 16th for me. I also need to check to see what's happening on October 10th because they're showing 1987's The Monster Squad. Oh, yeah. I know there's a handful of other things happening here in Portland. Pay attention on Facebook if you're in the Portland area because, you know, I'm going to be talking about it. And Chris McMillan from The Shadow Over Portland will be talking about it as well. Or if you're in the area, you can run into Chris and me at this upcoming weekend's HP Lovecraft Film Festival and Cthulhu Con. And no, I'm not going to put the reverb in this time because, well, it's late. I want to get this show out. That's happening this weekend at the Hollywood Theater. Tons of panels happening. Tons of films being shown. And if you follow me on Facebook, I've already posted a little bit about this. This wasn't solid until this past weekend. Barbara Steele is going to be in town. She's going to be at the screening of Black Sunday on Saturday. Sunday, Saturday. Yeah, Black Sunday on Saturday. Anyway, she's going to be there. And I get to conduct the Q&A with her after we watch Black Sunday. It's going to be a blast. I can't wait for that. And then I'll also be introducing the movie on Sunday as well. I'm so looking forward to this year's Lovecraft Film Festival. Chris and I are going to be on a couple of panels together. Uh, we're going to be on one about old-time radio and weird tales. And I've been listening to a lot of old Inner Sanctum episodes to get ready for that. And then I'm also doing a presentation, again with Chris, about Lovecraft and classic cosmic color. I don't know what the official name of the panel or presentation is going to be yet because I haven't seen the schedule yet, but you can find it if you go to their website, hplfilmfestival.com. This is all in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net, which is where you're going to find everything else you need to know about the podcast between episodes. I'm also going to make it a point to make sure that every song that you've heard in this episode is listed here, making sure everybody gets credited appropriately. And while you're clicking over there to check that out, I'm going to remind you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to any of the songs that you've heard this time around. They all belong to their respective copyright owners. Next week, the HP Lovecraft Film Festival and CthulhuCon. I'm going to bring you a lot of content from that, as well as a little bit of feedback that I've got sitting here ready to go. Between now and then... Well, um, Ia Ia, Cthulhu Fatagan. My name is Derek M. Cook. Ciao. We were camping in the woods late one night. Just my girl and my buddies, no one else inside. When the flames from the fire started getting dim, we decided that we'd go for a late night swim. We were stripping down to our drawers, all alone in the great outdoors. That's when we saw something we never saw before. It was climbing on the shore. What could we do? Imagine that a swamp on